Welcome to the Free Birth Society podcast. This is a radical space for women who are ready to celebrate their autonomous choices in birth, motherhood, and beyond. Together, we'll learn about wild birth through personal narrative, we'll explore the politics of birth, and we'll analyze everything that relates to our lives as women from a feminist perspective. Here's your host, Emily Saldea. It's been a while, freedom child, since I left my rules back home. It's season seven, women. Hello, it is so fun to be back in the saddle. This is your host, Emily Saldea. I have got loads of amazing stories and conversations this season that are, as always, bound to change your freaking life. We had another amazing festival this past summer. This one we're going to lovingly always remember as Mud Triarch Rising. The goddesses of the sky told me that they do not plan on raiding on us at all next year when it's the full moon. So thrilled about that. We are about to launch our newest program, Compass, the Guide to Radical Birthkeeping, and I am so excited about it. It's a self-study program for all of you birth workers and women out there that want to dip your toe into what RBK is all about, our core philosophies, fundamentals. It's really good. Every video is a full-on mic drop. I'm really stoked to get it out there and into your hands. On a personal note, my baby just turned one, and you moms know how that is. Where did the time go and all that? He is a gorgeous, giggly little beast. I can't believe how much I love him and how much fun it is to have him in our family. Birthing this time last year as fall was coming in was so epic, and it feels just really magical to be all wrapped up in the foggy mornings again and the rustling of the leaves and to reflect on my really special postpartum. It was so, so good. What else is going on? We are in registration right now for our spring retreat, and I'd love for you to come. I only offer retreats every few years, and I have no plans to do this again with the medicine woman that is Sister Morningstar. I'm calling this retreat The Midwife Within because it's a five-day gathering for women to explore, discover, and awaken the midwife that lies within all of us. You know how much we need to be in person together, and this is one of those rare opportunities to come onto my land and sit with elder midwife, Sister Morningstar, who's a personal mentor to me and, and so many, and she is just really, really special. So we're going to have workshops on newborn first breaths and transition, placentas and umbilical cords, understanding blood loss from a holistic perspective. You're going to learn how to facilitate a village prenatal in your own community. And it's all nestled in with fires and song circles, morning yoga, delicious food. I've sincerely dreamed of offering this for a very long time. And now it's here. 
and you can come. You only have until the end of this year to register, which is shockingly soon. So if you're a birth worker, get off call. If you're a mom, get your childcare and please, oh, please gift yourself this retreat. Go to matriarchrisingfestival.com slash midwife within, or you can find it in the show notes. There is just so much magic in the hands-on learning that you can't get any other way. And I'm really looking forward to offering this to you in the spring. What else is going on? We're doing a big old rebrand at Free Birth Society, so things will start to look a little different around here. And, oh, the school, Cosm Academy, opened this past August. It's well underway. It's the sweetest thing ever, and I'm so proud of what I pulled off. It feels really good to be nurturing such important long-term projects like that here where we live with our in-person community. Okay, I'm going to leave it there so that we can jump into this awesome episode. It's such a fun one to start the season with. Rachel reached out to me during her pregnancy and it was just wonderful to support her and her family and then get to hear her full story here being shared on the podcast for all of you. So we get into Rachel having no role models for healthy marriage or healthy birth, the adorable story of how she and her husband met in Aruba, both of her conception stories. She shares how her first birthing dreams were of an unassisted birth, talks about having her first child in Aruba, how she was constantly fear-mongered everywhere she turned. She shares the birth sabotage of her first birth with medical midwives, how she gaslit herself for years about her birth, how she leveled up into success and self-responsibility, and Rachel talks about the decision to move her family from Aruba to Sweden, her land of origin, and of course she shares her beautiful and oh-so-perfect free birth in the water with her family. Okay, enjoy. You're in for a really great season. I dare say it's the best one yet. All right. Welcome to the show, girlfriend. Hi. So happy to be here. Yeah, it feels really full circle. And I got to connect with you in your pregnancy and um, support you a little bit and got to hear, you know, little bits and pieces of your journey since. And I'm just so excited to hear the the full story today. Yeah, feels like a long time ago we talked about doing this podcast a baby ago. So. A baby ago. <laughs> that, that's definitely a new expression we should use versus a lifetime ago. So tell me about, big question, but to place, you know, everyone listening to your story, who are you before your first pregnancy? Where are you? What's your life like? And take us into the journey, however you want to tell it today, of your first pregnancy. Okay. Big question, who was I before motherhood? Um, so I was born and raised in Sweden and lived my whole young adult life in Sweden, living a fairly, fairly not, not super great life. My teenage years were really, really, really hard and heavy. Mm. I come from a history of just a lot of childhood trauma and a lot of broken families and mm. death and stuff. And didn't know it, but when I was a teenager, I was manifesting inner pain through drinking and 
running away from home and just being pretty severely depressed for a lot of years mm. in a row. And ended up when I was 17 years old, I was in a really terrible place and ended up finding myself at a meditation retreat. Mm. It was kind of, it was thanks to my mom. I say so much in my life is because of and thanks to my mom. So mm-hmm. she, I feel that. <laughs> it's so true. It's like such a double double thing but she she had enough and she was basically like okay you're either out of the house or you you have to do something to feel better so she had found this place where you go meditate and therapy and just wildly different from how I was living I was drinking every day and just dating terrible boys and under her roof yeah yeah and what was your resistance or willingness to go do that yeah I think about it now and it's really bizarre because I had never I had no friends who ever no one in this realm you know I didn't have I didn't know anybody who meditated I didn't know anybody who had ever gone to therapy or who had done any kind of inner work of any kind um so I think there was just the part of me that was that knew that I can't continue living this way it's not a it's not a sustainable way to live I was I was so deeply unhappy for so much of my of my own life Mm. And I, I went, I remember thinking, okay, well, I'll, I'll try. I didn't want to be kicked out of the house and I wanted to feel better. And it was a place in Sweden. It was a, a train right away. And then I had to take a cab and I took a cab from the train station and halfway to the place, I was like, oh no, this is insane. Like, I can't believe, like, what am I doing a week with strangers, you know, everyone wearing white. Like I, I just, I, it was so strange to me. And it I sounds like heaven hard. to us now, yes, though. Doesn't no, it? I'm like amazing. Sounds like vacation. Like, are you kidding? And then, you know, I was like face full of heavy makeup and mm-hmm. smoking cigarettes, and I was just not in that place. And I told the cab driver, "Hey, I t- I changed my mind. Actually, turn around. Like, take me back to the station." And he pulls over and kind of turns around, and he was like, "You know, I've driven a lot of people to this place." And everyone is very scared going there. He's like, I don't know what they do there. But when I pick people up, they are the happiest I've ever seen. Whoa, go cab yeah. driver. Go cab driver. So he was like, how about I give you my phone number? And if you want to ride back to the train station, like tomorrow or anytime, you just call me and I'll come pick you up. And I was like, okay. Aww. So it's thanks to that cab driver, I ended up at this retreat center in the first place where I would have just turned right around. <laughs> this retreat center like fully employs that guy. Yeah, probably. <laughs> He's on payroll. He's just like shuttling people. He's taking all these like trainings of how to get you there. That's funny. He's the highest, highest paid employee. <laughs> no, but it was so, it was so amazing because, um, so there's a retreat, it's Osho based. I don't know if you know. Osho. Oh yeah, I lived at his ashram in India. Oh, you did amazing. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I have lots of friends who did live that life. So I ended up staying and sticking around and dynamic meditation every morning and you know, really deep primal work and lots of crying and just it was completely life changing, basically. So I ended up going back for another retreat just a couple of months later and uh, realized that the only way for me to make a life of my own where I would be happy would have to be outside of Sweden. Like I couldn't stay in the family dynamic I was in. I had to go. So I broke up with my boyfriend um, and went to Costa Rica. I was supposed to do like a three month backpack thing. But deep down I knew I'm like, I'm never coming back. Mm. <laughs> like I just, I just knew this is not just a little trip. It's a big thing. 
and uh, went to Costa Rica and uh, quite literally like didn't, didn't return. Changed my life completely, found yoga, um, you know, found life basically for the first time at, yeah, I guess 18, 18 years old then. And, um, and yeah, I mean, fast forward a little bit. I lived there for three years. Um, really, so you go, fun. you go one way and stay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And you just find like a I, place to work or. <laughs> I mean, I went back at some point to move out of my mom's house. Okay. Which became another thing. She was like, I want to rent this room. <laughs> We're going to like, <laughs> you know, like if you're out, you're out, you know, like I have all your stuff here. And um, so I, I came back to kind of empty the, the room and like repack and kind of organize myself to really, really live. Um, I think half a year or something later, but then I really stayed and um, yeah, I bartended for a bit. I waitressed, I worked at a dive shop. I, you know, I was just kind of doing that like barefooted hippie thing where all I literally cared about was my yoga practice um, and this new spiritual journey that I had found. Hmm. So did plant medicine and started kind of opening up into a whole, whole new world over there. Wow. Like and from night to day, you can it just... really was. Yeah, wow. <laughs> it really, really was. And I think, um, yeah, somewhere kind of halfway through that trip, I realized yoga was was the thing like yoga was um, for me. I always had a lot of back pain. I had a lot of a very disconnected relationship to my body. And yoga was my first experience of of any form of embodiment of, mm -hmm. of finding presence in my body without feeling. Yeah. Like I was triggering a wound or I was very, very scared to be in the body my whole entire life because I held so wow. much resolved stuff there. And was it a particular lineage that you found like a devotional practice with, or did you kind of make a hodgepodge? Yeah. I've floated in and out. So I started with a very basic Hatha form of yoga with a lot of props and a lot of support which was great because I have or had scoliosis I had Whoa. I couldn't touch my toes like I was really in a messed up place Ooh, girl <laughs> yeah I know it's you like, have lived very many lifetimes I think so wow. yeah and I think the if I had found like a very intense form of yoga like a vinyasa flow or an ashtanga or something right away I probably would have never come back after that first class mm. So I'm glad I found a, a more gentle, supportive um, practice first. And then I started feeling empowered, got rid of the back pain, realized like I could do a handstand, like I could I could be in this body and feel strong. Mm. It was really uh, an amazing thing. Like yoga really brought me to my body for the first time. Cool. And then somewhere around there, I, I started teaching classes to friends I would be on the beach just practicing and someone would join or a tourist or and I just started kind of talking people through what I was doing for myself and then realized like I'm kind of kind of good at that like mm -hmm. I can kind of <laughs> like I have a yeah I have a I felt really connected and really inspired by just sharing the practice and then I started teaching and eventually did a, a couple yoga teacher trainings and then somewhere there went to Aruba on vacation like somewhere in these years I, I forget like everything kind of blends together yeah. um and I went to Aruba on vacation and went walked into a surf shop and met this very cute 
boy. Adorable. Adorable. Oh my God. <laughs> a little surf shop, of course. A little surf shop, of course. And it was Aruba. It was like an island. I was literally there just on vacation. Never been before. Didn't know anyone. Oh. It's a tiny island in the middle of you know the Caribbean. And I met this guy and uh, we had five days or something together. Cute. And I was this very free spirited, you know, I was so free spirited. It's like the perfect word for everything. I, I was didn't really have roots in one single place. I was just living in Costa Rica, but traveling a ton and wanting to just be happy and teach yoga. That's how you do your 20s, Rachel. Right. I did them right. Yeah. I did you them really right. props. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really glad I didn't do the like college thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Me either. <laughs> I have a I have a I also I would say did my 20s real well just like yeah. joined the circus traveled the world lived in India did Wait, you joined the circus of- the actual I was, circus I was in a circus yeah for between seven eight eight years or so like a Bernie man circus oh my god but traveled the world you know anyway yeah, just when like- else are you gonna do that like that's the thing it's exactly so-, so this yeah. cute boy in the surf shop he lives in Aruba but where is he from he's a Reuben. Yeah. Okay. So Aruba is very, there's 83 nationalities living in Aruba. So oh. an Aruban can be like, yeah, there's a lot of Dutch influence. It's a Dutch, um, was colonized by the Dutch long ago. So he's tall, blonde, looks very Dutch, but he's uh, like his whole family in Aruba are like super tiny, dark skin, brown eyes. He looks completely adopted in this, in this family. Very cute. Yeah, he's six foot four and everyone okay. else is super small. I guess I just made up that he was also Swedish. Everyone thinks he's either Dutch or Swedish. Yeah, right. He looks, he looks that way. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, so obviously we're talking about your husband. Spoiler, yeah, alert. obviously. Yeah, spoiler <laughs> alert. That was my husband. That's some other hottie that brought you to. <laughs> that's a, let's talk about that guy. Surprise! <laughs> I could have been with that guy. <laughs> oh my gosh, this other Reuben. Oh, okay, keep going. No, so we had uh, yeah five days together and. Um, I don't know. I think at the time I just thought this is like a little fling. He's super cute. Okay. But like, what else could it possibly be? And then I went back to Costa Rica and I couldn't stop thinking about him, like dreaming about him. Like I really, he just was very present in my, in my, in my mind. And I think 10 days later, I just called out of the blue. This was like pre, pre smartphone time. Like there was a phone booth on the beach I walked to and I, nice. and I called and I just said, I've been kind of thinking about you and maybe I would, should come back and visit and he was like yeah yeah I, I've been thinking about you too and I was like how about maybe tomorrow he's like okay yeah <laughs> tomorrow's great <laughs> and I was like okay and I just hauled ass in the car with my best friend she dropped me off at the airport and I went to visit him which was supposed to be like a month I had a month trip and I remember telling my best friend I was like what if he's a psycho killer like what if he's like a serial killer or something yeah and she was like if he is he's like a really cute one so it's like, you're, you'll be fine. <laughs> like, and then that trip, I ended up literally not leaving. So I didn't go back to Costa Rica until a year later to get my stuff. Whoa. Whoa. So, yeah. so that was that, you know, and we kind of built this life in Aruba. Um, how quickly when you went there to visit, how quickly into that new relationship were you like, I'm staying for real, for real? I, honestly, I think it was kind of unspoken almost right away, like wow. in the first week. And he had just moved out of his mom's house. I was 21. He was 23. 
Um, in Aruba, you kind of stay at home until you, you get married. It's it's kind of common to stay living with your family for a long time. And he had just- For both sexes? Family. Yeah. Okay. I mean, earlier for men, but but definitely it's common you stay longer. And he was 23. He had just moved out and it was like a big deal. He had this bachelor pad with his best friend. They had lived there for like a month. Oh, no. And then I show up with my little like backpack, like, hey. The friend's like, great. Oh, he was so pissed. He moved out, I think, a month later or something. Like, he was just out of there so fast. He was the best man at our wedding later. So oh, cute. Turned out, turned out fine. But, um, but yeah, we just, we built a life there. So he had the surf shop and I was teaching yoga on the beach. And we had a couple of years of just doing that. Just this very mellow, grounded surfing, mm. getting puppies, just doing that, that kind of thing. And then... um. And then at some point, social media happened. At some point, I started working for a hotel. I, I created my own position with this hotel there where I became the yoga director of the hotel, just bringing in teachers for teacher trainings and retreats. And I started using Facebook for the hotel to, to market the classes that I had. And then uh, Instagram came along and I got an account and I was like randomly picking a name, like what to, to do on Instagram. And I picked yoga girl because I I did a lot of yoga like that was that it's and, very uh, lit very literal yeah, very <laughs> literal it turned out to be a good choice of name uh -huh. <laughs> like, later but this was really early I mean this was 2012 so this was mm -hmm. you know back in the day where like you had those six filters and there's like a little border on your photos mm -hmm. and no one was using Instagram really for for marketing or you know you couldn't it was, it was very early and um I would share like breakfasts and puppies and just my life. And, and then every time I shared something yoga related, I realized I just got a lot of questions and a lot of response and people were asking about poses and, and things. So little by little, I started just sharing yoga centered content and the, the account just exploded like really, um, yeah, really quickly. Wow. I mean, it's 10 years ago, more <laughs> feels like. Mm -hmm. feels like longer it was a very innocent social media innocent time to be on social media like it was totally. very cool and so that different. winds up shaping so much of your success I would imagine yeah yeah I mean for sure if it wasn't for that I was right. literally on an island you know right <laughs> so if what I had time to what a time to be alive yeah, to be, be alive yeah. right I mean, so back then, if I had 15 people come to a class, I would go home and like, biggest class of my life, 15 people showed up, holy shit, oh my god. And then um, we I started traveling to, I think the first class I ever taught off the island, we went to a surf expo in, um, in Florida. So my husband would go every year to, to big expo for for surfing. And someone asked like, Oh, you're here, like, could you teach a class somewhere? And I was like, how would I do that? Like I googled, yoga studio you know how to like I had never no idea didn't know anybody and I remember everyone I emailed was like who are you yeah like, sure no. you know like who's your teacher like where you come from where yeah, else you're just like so random <laughs> you know and then some little studio in a suburb somewhere uh was like yeah you know we're we're closed on Sunday so if you want to do a class on Sunday you totally can um so just how are you going to market that? And I was like, I'm going to use Instagram. And they were like, what is 
what is Instagram? Cool. <laughs> and then I got there and it, there was like, it was, there was a line out the door. You know, it was crazy. It was the biggest. That's awesome. What a feeling was, that must have been. Did you shit your pants? I, w- we had, we had had Chipotle for some reason. It was my first and only Chipotle experience. Like actually, yes, the story does go actually, yes, I did shit my pants <laughs> in the middle of class. <laughs> that's how you wind up going viral like no one actually knows that part of your story it could have happened but it was my first time ever eating that Dennis was so excited to have Chipotle and I remember like seeing the line I went back to the car I'm like I'm gonna vomit like yeah. what what am I gonna do with these people why yeah. are they here like why yeah. you know but yeah and then from there on it just kind of grew Aww, and I was cool. able to make that my life and I'm really grateful Fuck, it's yeah. fun to look back at, at this you know right so yeah oh that studio that's so cool yeah it's fun I wish I could go back there like those classes back then were so much fun and we ended up doing that just like living on the road going from place to place just teaching just to travel just to experience places and it's how how I made a living for for a few years yeah how many years were you guys together before you get pregnant um six seven nice yeah I had her I was 28 we met when I was 20 21 yeah that's nice yeah, we really had a life. I'm, I'm happy that we got mm-hmm. to have just like alone that whole season together. And create a, a long-term foundation. Yeah, yeah. And I always yeah. knew, I knew I wanted babies. Uh, I was always the kind of person, like I wasn't so into getting married. I wasn't, Same. everyone in my family, including grandparents on both sides are divorced. Whoa. And divorced in like kind of like a not a not a great way. So I have no... I didn't have any role models in terms of just marriage working out. So I always told Dennis, like, I want a bunch of babies. I want at least like four or five, but I don't really think we need to get married or do that, mm-hmm. that whole thing. Um, and then he asked me to marry me just kind of out of the blue. And I almost said no. He's like, yeah, yeah, totally. But maybe <laughs> well, let's do it anyway. That's cute. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you said yes. so, I said, yes, yes. I did say yes. Yeah. And you know, uh, I, I refused to legally marry my husband until last year what congratulations wait are you a new <laughs> are you a newlywed <laughs> i guess technically i mean we had a wedding 10 years ago like we had a whole like a wedding and a ceremony and you know married each other spiritually in front of our community which was what what i cared about and we changed our last name we made up our last name and all and all this you know cool stuff but it wasn't until last year that I was actually willing to to actually do it, like to do the not, legal thing. Now you're locked in, like you weren't before. You know, yeah, you could always escape. Not like you have yeah. A well, of- I had a lot of. <laughs> I mean, similar to what you just said. Yeah, I, I saw a lot of divorce, but also I had a lot of resistance to the legal, you know, contract of marriage and what that how that doesn't serve me, mm-hmm. you know, and how that serves the the owner, right? the male oh it's yeah but now exactly and now our life has changed where we own real estate and and you know there's like a whole different situation and assessment and actually I got sued which is why we this is very unromantic but I got sued which is part large part why we wound up getting legally married so that none of our stuff could be um taken away if if I were to lose what is it about the United States and suing each other. They love it. <laughs> you love it. It's like, you yeah. hurt my feelings? Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. 
Let me ruin you financially forever. (laughs) So intense. (laughs) Anyway. Okay. So resistance to marriage, but so I'm curious. Yeah. If you could speak on a little bit of the, it's such a big deal for someone with a, you know, a dark path from, or um, past from broken homes and, you know, a rough childhood with trauma to choose motherhood. That's such a big deal. Right. Because, of course, there's all this. Fill in the blank. I mean, awareness, possible fear, you know, but there, it like puts a lot of pressure on doing it differently, you know, yeah. or you could say inspiration. I mean, I don't I don't know how your journey was, but I'm thinking about that of of coming from this hard beginning, as you named and then radically transforming your life, like really claiming it in your 20s. Also, your ability to have such a healthy relationship really speaks to the growth. And it's like, it's like tangible, you know, that you were able to claim your life so young and so independent, and then also have a really functional, healthy, loving, stable relationship emerge out of that. Um, Anyway, so props to you for that. And then like, how do you start to wrap your head around calling in a baby and are you how do you kind of grapple with what you've seen as a blueprint for parenthood yeah I think for me the the beginning of that was already choosing him which I realized I didn't really actively root into until I said yes to marrying him because it was kind of like before that I I could have bailed at any point and it wouldn't have been that big of a deal you know we didn't mm-hmm. um our, our lives were entwined but I was used to kind of I was used to bailing on on most things in my in my life every relationship I'd ever had before mm-hmm. and I remember when he asked me to marry him I kind of knew it was coming like I had I don't know if someone accidentally said something or it was just all of a sudden this thing was happening and instead of feeling like oh my god and butterflies and what a big thing I was like nauseous like this did not it didn't feel exciting it felt just so overwhelming and really scary and saying yes I realized at the time like this just changes the whole trajectory not just of my life but it changes something in our in my lineage also that I'm choosing him and I know he's a good guy I know he's not the guy who's gonna yeah who's gonna be the asshole later like I know he's he's stable he's everything everything my past tells me to avoid like that was him and um, and then I had to just kind of actively continue to 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 stay anchored in that and not not bail. You know, it's not just you have to kind of form that new path in your brain. Right. And then make a really big effort to stay there for, for the first years. I think it would have been easier for me to leave and to be alone and to to do that thing. Yeah. But then motherhood, it was since I was really little, like I can remember being my daughter's age. She's six now. And knowing really clearly inside that I am not going to be a mom until I am ready. And for me, ready really meant when I was when I was a young girl, too, like I'm not going to hurt anybody. And I've had that very clear, just this knowing that that I'm going to be a mom, but it's going to take a lot of work. I have to find that sense of readiness, which I now know means there was a lot of trauma for me to heal. Mm. But I can remember being her age, like knowing I'm not just going to have a baby like I have to be this version of something first and um 
what year was this? So this was, yeah, I think I was 27, I guess. I went on another big um, transformative, like therapeutic retreat. I don't know if you've ever heard of Path of Love. It's also Osho rooted. No. It's, yeah, so it's like an Osho retreat, but very, it, it's very hard. <laughs> like It's just it's so intense, so deep, so um yeah I don't know how to how to describe it it's basically like an like an Osho based week but it's yeah I have no I have no words I went anyway even though I didn't have a major thing to fix in my life I just knew I wanted to to do more and on this retreat had this major epiphany that I wanted to have a baby but I never I hadn't consciously thought about that I hadn't had the, the conversation with Dennis like maybe now is the time but that I really wanted to have a baby. I really wanted to be a mother, but I was absolutely terrified that I would become a version of my mother mm. or that I would somehow traumatize my children the way I, I experienced a lot of trauma when I was little. And that whole week ended up being this major transformation for me to kind of let go of maidenhood and step into motherhood, even though I wasn't pregnant yet. Mm -hmm. And my one big epiphany okay. after that week was I want to be a mom. And I came home, uh, and you know, when you come home from something really transformational, how it's like you're seeing the person you love for the first time, it's like so special. We we drove to the other side of the island, had sex on the beach, which we like, sounds very cliche, like it's not something we would do. Like Aruba is like a very busy, it's not like a, it's not like Costa Rica where there's like quiet Deserted. beaches everywhere. Yeah. No, Aruba is tiny and people are everywhere. <laughs> And uh, we had this very intimate, beautiful moment on the beach. And then driving in the car on the way home, Dennis grabbed my hand and he was like, I think, I think, I think we're pregnant. And I was like, are you out of your mind? Like, you're crazy. Why would you say that? He's like, I just, I, I think so. And he kept making little jokes for the next couple of weeks. So like when we have the baby and I'm like, can you stop talking? Like, like, obviously, like it was, I, I was thinking I was, I had my period like the day before. It was like not at all a time where, yeah. And then a couple of weeks later, my period never came. And he was like, I told you. And I'm like, no. And then another week and I'm like, shit. Wow. So it's funny, like he really knew. And I, uh, I had to catch up <laughs> a little bit. But yeah, and then we were, we were pregnant. And what's it like to be pregnant in Aruba? What do you what do you choose for your support and how yeah, anything else about the pregnancy that you want to speak to of the work of it? You know, obviously we're gonna get into the birth story, but um again, yeah, it's just such a big deal to come from trauma and be so aware of that and and what does that look like for you in your pregnancy? Are you enjoying your pregnancy? Is it hard? Yeah. I mean, uh, at the time we were, we were building our yoga studio. Mm. So we were in the middle of birthing this huge project um, while I was pregnant. So it was kind of like we were growing something major in a lot of areas of, of life. And um, I, I remember the the very first birth video I ever watched in my life. It was after I was pregnant. Um, and I had only heard, like so many of us, just really horrifying stories about birth my whole life. Like my mom had four children, 
for highly traumatic hospital births oh. in each instance either baby almost died or she almost died or something really crazy happened and she really of course because she comes from that but has told me my whole life like just you know watch out <laughs> like this this terrible thing is going to come and it's really the worst thing that could ever happen to someone and it's so scary one state it's such it an intense like, thing to be told. I mean, so many women are told that, but. I know. And so, and I think now, because we've talked about it so much now, since I chose such a different path, like she doesn't still to this day, doesn't really have any other way of speaking about it. Hmm. And I tried to inquire like, you know, and it's just, yeah, it's, it's such a big, big thing, but I was really scared to give birth because I knew it, it, chances of it being terrible or traumatic was mm. really high because that's what, what I was told. But then I got pregnant and the very first birth video I ever watched was a video of a free birth, but I didn't know <laughs> at the time. It was like in the deep mm. layers of the internet somewhere, but it was this video of, it was a stagnant, like stationary camera in the corner of a room. And it was just a room full of candles and this woman mm. wearing a long white dress with this huge belly. And it was like an hour and a half video, like a very long kind of, video and she's just pacing very gently up and down this room pausing for contractions breathing just doing her thing all alone and then at one point it's so peaceful it's like the most peaceful thing i've ever seen and then at one point she goes to the corner of the room and she knocks on the door <laughs> and her guy comes out I don't know, it's so bizarre and she squats down and has the baby and then they're like holding each other hmm. and i'd never heard the word free birth you know, at this time, I mean, this yeah. was seven years ago. Um, but I was just like, I want this, this I, I want. I just, I want this, this thing, being alone, this peacefulness, the fact that she's completely in her, in herself, like no hospital, no, mm -hmm. um, I want this. And then I found a book called Unassisted Childbirth, which was like someone passed it to someone. I think there was a doula on the island. I don't know how I found this book. And then, um, went to one of my first prenatal things which was a yoga related prenatal like it was supposed to be this very grounded um here's like preparation for birth some some breath work kind of stuff and then this woman who was leading that workshop who's a very very sweet person uh, asked how do you want to give birth and i said well i saw this video <laughs> and i really would like to birth like at home and and maybe alone and she goes, oh, I did that when I was a teenager. And I tore from my anus to my no! Shut shoulders. Up, yeah. And it was the worst experience ever. And I was just like an adamant teenager. And I would not recommend it again. And, and I Dude. haven't had of this until very recently. That that was my first ever like vision of birth. And then I had it kind of crushed. Like, right yeah. Just like it, it is so crazy and i know trauma and righteousness really are a weird combo but it is so crazy to me how frequent i mean that any woman to this you know beautiful excited bright-eyed how you're gonna have your beautiful birth which of course is so possible and then just to like shit on your face like it's just so crazy that that is what you know of course again it's trauma it's righteousness it's this like weird delusional sense of protection and yeah and i think that's a big big thing you know I have, I have one of my really 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 cl close friends works at a hospital as a as a nurse like a, an ER nurse okay. 
And she called me when I was pregnant to tell me the story of a horrible birth that went horribly wrong. And I'm like on the phone, I'm like, excuse me, like, I love you, but this is not okay. <laughs> this is so not inappropriate. Ask consent. And she was like, oh, oh, I didn't think. So I don't know if it, this feeling of, oh, I have to warn her because this can happen. I don't know. It's really, yeah. it's really. Well, messy. I mean, you know, a lot of people live in the sea of fear. That is, that is their orientation. That is how they hear everything. And that's how they operate from. And so it's a very different reality than what I know. And it, you know, it sounds like what you know to be true. So it's so um, alarming, but anyway. Okay. Yeah. So she but even this memory down. of like watching this video, finding that book and then having that door kind of closed. Um, I, ha I didn't remember that until recently, but actually my first longing was for a free birth. Love and that. No. Oh, wait. And here's <laughs> my daughter. Hi, darling. You can tell <laughs> Papa. Darling, you can tell Papa that I can feed him if he needs to be fed, okay? Okay. But you can close the door. It's okay. Thank you. No, no, you can't come in. <laughs> I love you. Thank you. Behind the sheet, like behind the curtain, trying to. She wants to let me know the baby's awake, and I, I definitely heard. <laughs> um. So yeah. So but it was interesting just to be reminded of the fact that my first longing for my first birth mm -hmm. was for a free birth, but I didn't know that, mm -hmm. that that's what that was called. Um. So I decided, okay, I'm gonna have a home birth. I know I want to do that. I want it to be as natural as possible, but I, I also didn't at all understand that involving myself heavily in the medical system, which I did right away, that that was going to in any way interfere with what I wanted. I thought I'm going to find a great midwife and I'm going to bring that person home and I'm going to have a home birth and it's all going to be peaceful and, and great. And giving birth in Aruba, Aruba is interesting because it's so, it has a lot of Dutch influence. And I don't know if you know, but in Holland in the Netherlands, home birth is really common. Mm -hmm super common like you get pregnant there they offer do you want to birth at home or you want to be in the hospital so it's really like my my husband's sister um was born in holland at, at home birth totally normal um but with but medical with yeah medical there's always a midwife yeah, yeah 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 not a free birth but at least a home birth and it's rare i don't know any other country in in europe where they are that positive to home births like in Sweden, they treat you just birthing at home with if you have mm -hmm. 10 midwives and an OBGYN waiting, they, they treat you like you're insane, just mm -hmm. not being in the hospital. So, um, so yeah, so we found there was only one uh, clinic, like one midwife center on the island that did home births. There was this kind of negative talk about it. Only one place did it because it's so dangerous, they would say, but the island is so small. So if you have to go to the hospital, you're just five minutes away. So we will allow it. It wasn't mm -hmm. like it's celebrated. Here's why it's great. It was kind of, we don't want to, but we'll do it kind of thing. Um, so already from the first visit with them and I said, I'm, I want to give birth at home. They looked at me like I was a little crazy and kind of like, this is probably not going to happen for you. Um, and I just took that as like, oh, but I'm used to fighting for what I want. And, uh, you know, I was positive and this is going to be great. But looking back now, every step of the way, it was like I was climbing a mountain that you know, with everything stacked against me. Well, and, and you you didn't know how it works. Right. It was my first time. Yeah. Of course. Well, and this is this is such a common, you know, story because they're they ultimately did agree, though there were obviously red flags, they did agree to the thing that you asked for. 
though they never were going to actually provide that. Right. So that's, right. it's like trickery. But I was thinking about how you said that video, you didn't have the language for free birth yet. And I think there's something kind of, you know, important for all of us to remember that like all you were watching was just a normal birth. Like the only reason we have to have words like free birth and unassisted birth and all of these tracks is because of how co-opted it's all become because really I'm sure that woman birthing didn't call it a free birth either. You know, she right. just gave birth and threw her camera on and, and it's in our nature to orient towards that. You know, I don't think most new moms are laying around excited about their legs and stirrups with strangers, you know, inserting, you know, instruments into their bodies. It's, they think they have to have that, but the things we fantasize about is like that video, like that is our orientation to nature, right? Yeah. No, I I think about that a lot. It's kind of like calling food organic food. Exactly. <laughs> it's yes. the same. No, same thing. But I, I still think I thought all throughout the pregnancy, I, I was so convinced that this is going to happen at home. Mm -hmm. And I read every, you know, spiritual midwifery. I read every natural birth kind of book. I think I read, I did that, like, if I'm I'm going to research my way to this birth at home, where I read 17 books and watched a bunch of, you know, home births online and, and all throughout was going to every appointment because I really just thought I had, I had to do that. It never occurred to me that I maybe shouldn't have, or maybe could have opted out. It was just, this is what you do. Yeah. Kind of thing. And it was also exciting, like first ultrasound and seeing the baby and, and all of, all of these things. But then already at, let me see, week 36, I think it was week 36, they started talking to me about how abnormally big my belly was. And it looks like so rude, so rude, but kind of like, ooh, this belly is so huge. The baby's already so huge. You could give birth at any moment. Okay. So from week 36, I was like, oh my God, I'm going to have, a, I'm, I'm going to go into labor any moment like this. I was trying to take it easy, you know, to like not go into labor too soon um, because they kept saying this belly is so big, this baby is so big. Oh, my God. And all the while, every appointment, they would nudge me to go to the hospital, why it's better at the hospital, why it's safer at the hospital, even though they knew what I wanted was a home birth. And then, you know, the due date came and went. <laughs> and I think the day after they were like, okay, so when, when are we planning this induction at the hospital kind of thing? And I just said, I, that's the last thing I want. Like, I really don't care what, what happens. I am not, you're not, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going like, that's not going to happen. And then one of the midwives, there was three at the center was like, okay, well, I, I won't deliver you anymore at home since you're, you know, so irresponsible. You're 40 weeks plus one day, you know, bye-bye. Uh, so there was two left. Yeah, and then a couple of days passed, and then the second midwife was like, "Yeah, I I, I don't feel comfortable uh, delivering you uh, or or being there with you at home, so it's going to be at the hospital." There was only one left, and then this woman was like, "I can give you to to forty two weeks, but if you go past, I won't feel comfortable uh, with this. Then you have to go to the hospital." So from week forty, it was like I was racing against some imaginary. Just this time, this clock. Of if I don't have the baby now, I'm gonna be like strapped to a to a bed and medicated, and I'm gonna have everything I don't want to have happen because I have to. It's that stressful. So stressful. And I was doing, you know, every single thing, all those things that don't work, like going for crazy long walks and eating spicy food and 
eating pineapple, having sex like twice a day. I mean, just trying to force this poor baby out of my way, basically. <laughs> I mean, I look at it now, like it was, it was really crazy, but there was this internal feeling of pressure that was just heartbreaking. I mean, well, I can laugh. Not even it. really internal. It's external. Yeah, of course. Really? Like everything yeah. in your surroundings is literally threatening you towards violence. Yeah. That's so hardcore. And women deal with this literally all over the world every day. You know, yeah. but this is it. This is how most women end their pregnancies in the system is under enormous threat in these impossible like it's the opposite, of course, of what you need to go into labor. And ugh. so how is this affecting your psyche? Are you freaking out? I was sitting in meditation for abnormal amounts of time every day. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was like trying to find some sense of, of groundedness there, which was just really, really hard to find. Crying a lot, feeling like something's wrong with my body, mm-hmm. um, feeling like I'm like, like the baby, like I, they had told me so much that the baby was so big that probably your body can't handle it. Like you're so slender. Um, and then, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm almost five, nine, my husband's six, four, like we're big people. Um, I was nine and a half pounds when I was born. Like it, it, and in the Ruba, the babies are so small. They really are like average babies are very, very, very small there. So they think that anything over four kilos, which I guess is what, eight and a half pounds or something is abnormal. Like they wow. think that because that's what they see at the hospitals there. Um, so final days of of pregnancy was just, I remember I had to go for my final, had to go, I went for my final ultrasound where they said, this is the ultrasound that decides whether or not you have to be induced. Oh my God. And by then I was like, okay, can you tell me please what, what it is you're looking for here? Like, what is this ultrasound going to determine? And then they said, well, we're looking at, the amount of fluid that you have enough fluid left in your room. We're looking at the health of the umbilical cord, checking the baby's heart rate and maybe something else. I can't remember. And I said, okay, so if all those things are okay, I'm still good to birth at home. Right. And then this woman was like, yes, yes. We're, but all these things have to be okay. And then I did the ultrasound and everything was great. Check, check, check. Great fluids, great umbilical cord. Baby's doing great, doing, you know, moving. Everything's fine. And then she turns to her computer and go, so you're going to be induced tomorrow at eight o'clock. And starts telling me like for that. And I'm like, you just told me if everything was fine, I wouldn't have to. And she said, oh, do you want your baby to live? Yeah. That was her. Um, Shameless, no. man. Shameless. Yeah. That, that sentence. Like, so do you want your baby to live? And I remember, like, I talked about it with my husband not so long ago. If I just left, like I just walked out. I remember she wore cowboy boots. I, I can't remember her face, but it was like a big traumatizing moment for me. Do you want your baby to live? Because that sentence I would replay during labor later. Like it was really ingrained that this person of authority who knows so much, who knows much more than me about birth is telling me if I if I don't get induced tomorrow, I'm basically putting a death sentence on my baby. And I had to sit with that and chose to still um, birth at home. Or try to birth at home. Anyway. Yeah. Crazy. Do you want to take a break to check in with uh, him? Just, it's quiet now, but I don't know if it's because he went outside. Or because maybe, <laughs> well, he me- knows that he can interrupt us, right? Uh, you can come in for me to 
speed. Okay, no problem. Okay, no, well, now he knows if he doesn't. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that was that. And then week 42 came. It was like the day of week 42. It was like the last day I had with this final midwife to allow me to birth at home. And uh, four in the morning, labor started. Thank God. And <laughs> thank God. And I remember feeling like, oh my God, oh my God, what if this is not it? Right. Mm -hmm. So I ha it, it wasn't like I could just relax and kind of let that process take its run its course. It was kind of like, oh, I have to force this process now to really be the real deal. Otherwise, I'm going to have to go to the hospital. So I was I think we had sex that morning just to try to like because we'd heard that <laughs> that's going to. Yeah. And I was like. I mean, it was kind of, I remember it was like a sweet morning. It wasn't like a bad thing or anything, but it wasn't like a romantic yeah. thing that happened. It was really, let's make sure labor really happens today kind of thing. If and, only it worked that way. Yeah, if only it worked that way. Just like nudge this baby out. But that feeling of pressure, that feeling of stress, that feeling of it has to happen now, hurry up. That was the energy that lasted throughout the whole process of labor with her. Like I was just running against the clock. Um, even contractions were like, they have to happen faster. They have to happen sooner. Like I really have to, at no point could I just relax and surrender yes. to the fact that this process has started. Everything is going well. I do. I do love that your recent baby, you know, made you wait a little bit so that you could rewrite what it feels like to be at the end of pregnancy without yeah. that you know oh yeah that was maybe the most important part of that pregnancy mm -hmm. was the final two weeks that getting to the 42 weeks and getting to have a different experience this time around that's a big deal okay so what happens so what happens so yeah labor starts um four in the morning the first couple of hours I was just lighting candles and dancing and was alone in the dark with my dogs just having a really beautiful experience feeling this feeling of like okay it has to Let's keep going. You know, I wasn't just resting or going back to bed or anything. I was just trying to do what I thought I could do to make things move along. And then in the morning, the midwife came and she's so happy because I went into labor and it's happening. So it can happen at home. And she kind of told me, like, you can relax. Like, this baby can come at home. Like, I'm here with you. And let's do a vaginal check. Let's do a cervical check. And right away she goes oh my goodness you're four centimeters dilated this is amazing you're gonna have this baby so fast <laughs> this baby is just like she was so excited telling Dennis wow this is incredible cannot believe already this early at this early stage she's already four centimeters so she basically told me like this is gonna be this is gonna be a breeze now this baby's coming so soon <laughs> which obviously was not in any way correct but put this idea in my head that oh this is going to be easy, right? Like it's baby's coming any moment now, you know? And then that didn't happen. It got more and more intense. A couple hours later, she comes back, does another check. Oh, still four. Okay. But keep doing what you're doing. It's working. A couple hours later, she comes back by now. It's starting to get really painful to have these exams at no point that I think to say no or ask, like, is this really helpful? It was kind of like a given she has to check. Otherwise, how would she know? how much I'm progressing, you know, and she checks and it really hurts. And then by now she's like, yeah, this is really taking a long time and nothing is happening. 
you know, you're not dilating. So in my head, okay, something's wrong. I'm not dilating. I'm not opening fast enough. My body's stuck. What, what am I doing wrong? And she goes, I think we should break the waters because that hasn't happened yet because that can really help move things along. And I go, oh, okay. I didn't even know that that was a, a thing. I said, if that's going to speed it up to ensure I can birth this baby at home, do it. And I remember that feeling. It was like, I don't know if it's like a hook or whatever they insert. It was awful. It looks awful like a coat feeling. hanger. Like a coat hanger. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Awful feeling. And a kind of a feeling like, like it took some force, like those, that sack was not ready to be ruptured. And I can, I realized later on, like she wasn't ready for that. You know, it was, it hadn't happened naturally yet. But what did happen was my contractions went from being manageable to completely not manageable, like huge step right away where, um, yeah, it felt like I skipped a bunch of steps along the way and it got very, 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 very hard. Um, which I guess is natural when, when you kind of have that forced upon you in that way. And then, I don't know, I mean, this I have it's kind of a blur at this point, but what kept happening in those 24 hours, because it took 20, it was like a 24 hour birth, was that she kept telling me four centimeters, only four, still four, still four, up until the point where I was completely convinced that, that I can't something's wrong. Like my body's broken. She said, maybe the baby's stuck and that's why you're not dilating. Fuck Probably off. the baby is stuck. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe these people are legally allowed to attend birth. <laughs> baby's stuck. Like she wasn't even anywhere near, you know, being, being stuck or being ready for. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to feed this baby. Can we pause? Of course. Let's you remember do it. What we now we have to remember that is a giant mug. That mug is oh, yeah. the size of your head. It is the same oh, mug. <laughs> it's my favorite mug. I drink like five of these of tea a day. It's Amazing. Like real tea, stuff. like tea tea or like herbal tea? No, herbal tea. Herbal. Yeah. We tried to grow tea plants here. <laughs> and I don't know if you have ever looked into that, but it's, yeah, I have. It's hard. It's, yeah. Well, we're supposed to have the right climate for it, but it took, you know, it takes like a year to germinate and then three years of being babies before you even get any tea leaves. It's like this whole long process. And we were in our fourth or no third year of it. And we went to Dominican Republic for the winter and they were here and they're supposed to be fine because they like, you know, tea lives yeah, in yeah. China and like places where it's cold and they all froze and died. Every oh. single one. Oh, <laughs> so oh, sad. Oh, okay. Where were we? So we were at the end. Yeah. So yes. she's just giving me exam after exam, telling me yes. I'm not dilating four centimeters, four centimeters. And then at one point we're in the bedroom and um, I'm just struggling. The pain is so intense and I'm on, I'm on all fours. And she says, okay, let's do one more check. And I remember saying, what? no, I can't, like, I can't, like I couldn't lie down for her to do a check. It hurts. So it just, the pain was so overwhelming, but it was pain coupled with, something's wrong. It was pain coupled with I stress, stress. It's a very different experience than just the, the sensations of birth. And at some point there, I turned to Dennis and I go hospital. Like it was from me. She was saying maybe she's stuck. She never said like, you should go to the hospital. She's probably stuck. And I turned to Dennis like hospital, like she's right. Baby's stuck. Something's wrong. I can't. And he goes, no, 
because we've been over this, you know, you don't want to be at the hospital. That's the last place you want to be. I believe in you. Everything is going well. Like he really, really, really did everything he could. Um, and I was just convinced like some, my body's broken. It's not going to happen. So off we go in the car down these like dirt roads, you know, all contractions stopped. Um, we get there. I was the only birth at the hospital that night. I mean, everyone was, was really small, small island, but no one else was there. And they let me turn the lights off. I We brought music. I, we like lit some candles, even some incense. Like they really kind of let us try to mimic something that felt like home. So I was grateful for that. And then I spent 90 minutes sitting in that hospital bed after I was examined by some doctor who said, everything's fine. Like, why did you come kind of if you wanted to birth at home? Like nothing's wrong. And he said, you're fine. And just left me there. <laughs> so I just sat for 90 minutes in that hospital bed. This is psychological up. warfare. It was bizarre. No, it was just so bizarre. And I was sure he was going to tell me like, here is this major thing that we, we are going to fix for you or do for you. But like, no, nothing. And then 90 minutes later, she comes for another check and like, oh, nine centimeters. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I guess we could have. I don't know. Like it was just, it was almost mm -hmm. laughable at that point. And then I just remember being very, going back into like a very peaceful place. Cause now I was like, okay, I'm at the hospital now. This is supposed to be the safe place. I did what everyone wanted me to do. If my body can't do it, this is where they're supposed to be able to do it for me. Like, I don't know. It was some oh. sort of like bizarre acceptance and it was very quiet. And then all of a sudden this, the midwife comes in, turns on the lights and like, time to push this baby out. <laughs> You're ready for it. Let's go. And I was like, oh, 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 okay. I guess, you know, she's the authority. She says so. I guess this is what it's supposed to feel like. And I had heard all these stories of what it feels like to have a push contraction, how intense that is, that full body kind of thing. I felt nothing no sensation, no feeling like that was even remotely close at all. But she told me it was time. And I was like, okay, well, we are under pressure here. Like we're on the clock. So it started a three, three and a half hour forced pushing phase where I was basically, it was like I was trying to take a poop, but I didn't have to go. Like there was no feeling of anything at all. And I just pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed forever until eventually she came and I kind of can't even really remember that last part like I was just I remember at some point I was like out of my body looking down I think I just kind of gave up I, I, I don't know it was so awful so hard and then there she was and God. she made this little noise and she cried and she was on my chest and I forgot everything that was not great and you know like I had my baby and everything was wonderful but they cut the cord so fast, which I didn't even realize that that was, you know, that it was really, really quick. We took her away to weigh her and to did all the things I didn't want to have them do basically mm -hmm. happen. Um, and then it was like a couple weeks later, <laughs> Dennis randomly said, I think they, did they give her a shot? And I was like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? He's like, I don't know. I can't, I, they, they did something. So it was just like that feeling, like I just lost all control of my baby. They yes, her did what they did, even though the uh, midwife knew exactly what I wanted. Yeah, and, was the midwife uh, in the room with you? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, did anyway. <laughs> did you 
how does that kind of directed forced pushing affect your pelvic floor? Oh, it destroyed my pelvic floor. And I didn't know until now. It took my second baby, which I didn't have to push out. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to that. But um, I've realized now just how absolutely weak my pelvic floor is from yeah. then, from that birth, not from not from having two babies or, or anything like that, but from then. Right. And that's an important distinction to make, right? Because mm-hmm. physiological birth shouldn't blow out your pelvic floor. Right. Right. But but abusive, torturous, on your back, forced, unphysiological pushing, of course. Of course does. Yeah. How could it not? No. So sense. how do you, who are you in those early weeks? Like, okay, so you don't have the home birth. You have this perfect baby. Like, how do you integrate all of that? I mean, the first thing that happened was that they they at the hospital they brought us to this kind of room like where you go after I guess and uh they kind of wheeled me and the baby in and then they go okay well now you say bye bye to your husband and he can come back for visiting hours at nine o'clock and I was what (laughs) what are you talking about so they have a rule at the hospital only mothers of the birthing mother is allowed I mean this shit you can't make it up old school old school so no dads allowed and I just I just remember saying, okay, well, we'll go home then. Like I yeah. had a baby 40 minutes ago, but we're going home. Like yeah. we're fine. And it became a whole thing. My husband's mom works at the hospital. So he had to call her, wake her up. So she could call the head of the hospital to let us pay for a room <laughs> to stay. <laughs> it was like the most fun wow. thing. And then we get to this room and then a nurse comes in and she goes, oh my goodness, this baby is so abnormally big. This is a diabetic baby. The, the blood sugar is not right with this baby. Uh, you cannot go home. You have to stay for observation 24 hours. And I go, like, there's nothing wrong with this baby. Like, she's a perfect, perfect, perfect baby. And they explain they're going to have to prick her with some kind of needle every so-and-so hour in the bottom of her foot to check her blood sugar levels. And they do that for 24 hours. And at this point, I'm, like, getting out of bed, just, like, packing my stuff. Like, this is not... And then nurse said, okay, well, let, let's bring the pediatrician in so that he can make an assessment. And, and then we monger you. Oh, my God. And then this, this guy comes in, this, this Dutch older man, and he walks in and he picks up the chart and he looks at the nurse and he looks at me and Dennis. And he's like, this baby is big, but these people are big. <laughs> he's, it's fine. You can go home. I'm like, okay, thank, thank you for letting me go home. It's like, I'm going to be stuck here but I think I had to really quickly kind of process this birth as everything was fine no one died baby wasn't too big baby didn't get stuck I didn't tear massively I didn't have a major thing happen and it's very important for me that this birth is a positive birth Hmm. so I rewrite the story very very quickly and say like it had to happen this way for me ending up at the hospital was like a form of letting go of control and that's what I had to do I gaslit myself very intensely so that I could convince myself that this was very healing, very positive. And to your, you know, credit, that is a survival strategy. Right. Right. Like that makes sense. Mm -hmm. This is what we do. This is what women do. It's, it's, you have to survive now. You have to love this baby you have to get back to your life. And so it is a survival strategy. It's it's in some ways like actually very intellectual and adaptive to lie 
to yourself. So that you can make it through those. I mean, I don't think I could have ever processed the trauma of that. And also the pregnancy, which was, there was so much that happened then and care for this tiny baby and step into this new role and new life and everything at the same time. So I realize now that I kind of put all of that away Uh and just in waiting for a second pregnancy in in waiting to get to do it differently next time around. When did you realize how far into your mothering did you realize that you had created all this cognitive dissonance around her birth? It took getting pregnant again. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I had no, if anyone ever asked, how was that labor? Oh, I wanted to birth at home. I couldn't because she was a little stuck. Like that was the story I would tell. But it was good that I was at the hospital because I got to let go. I got to surrender. There was no intervention. You know, it was still a vaginal birth. There was no medication. There was no stuff. But, you know, there was a million interventions and there was so much was fear mongered and coerced and terrible. And how how did she get unstuck at the hospital? I don't know. That just happened. (laughs) Hospital magic. or something no but it took this it took getting pregnant again and I also didn't realize until like I got pregnant now which is six years later my our daughter's years old now it's it's a long time to wait was that I was I was nervous to be pregnant again and a lot of that was not having unpacked everything that that happened in that first pregnancy and that first Mm -hmm. birth yeah yeah and when you are becoming when you're learning how to be a mom with her is, is some part of you, like, do you know that you'll have more children or is there, cause a lot of women that go through this kind of stuff and then, yeah, they'll like swear it off. They'll be like, I'm just not up for that. Like I'm not fit for that. Where did you land? Yeah. And I, I did that. I said, we're great. Like having one baby is a lot of babies. <laughs> And I always wanted like four or five. I wanted a bunch. I remember. It was like, no, one is good. And I also had a lot of, we had a hectic lifestyle. We had a lot of other projects. It was very, very busy. Yeah. But I I, I will never know. Like if that birth was empowered, unassisted, if it happened the way I wanted it to happen, maybe we would have had, you know, Mm. two babies in between these, these two. It's, It's impossible for me to know. I mean, mine was great and I waited five years. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad. It's not, It's nice to have a newborn and a six-year-old. That's like a really oh good Oh my bit. God. That's great. Highly recommend. Highly recommend. She's like running the potty know. over and grabbing the dipes and like totally. helping put him to sleep. And Amazing. No, yeah. it is amazing. It is amazing. So then how do we, how do we summarize the next five years for you? Like what, what needs to be said to then move into your choice to to get pregnant again when you do I think a lot of that journey was was meant to bring me back to my roots in a big way so in those five years I ended up we ended up moving to Sweden which is something I never thought would happen I never felt like I had any connection to my family or to ancestry Mm -hmm. here or to my roots or anything and then in those years I ended up doing a lot of healing work that led me to realize I actually want to go home I didn't feel at home in Aruba anymore. I started wanting cold water and deep, dark, dark forests and started really looking into my own ancestry and started feeling a big connection to my family again. And about a year ago, we ended up moving here. And then immediately, actually arriving to Sweden, we started talking, should we have another 
wouldn't it be fun, you know, or if we're going to have more, like now is it the time and mm-hmm. starting to, to have that talk a little bit. And then half a year into living here, we got, we got pregnant. Yeah. Or yeah, a little more than that. And I'm curious what, what is your relationship like with your mom now or your family being back there? And it sounds like, it sounds like, yeah, you had, you've maintained a relationship with her in your adulthood. Yeah, we have, it's on and off. So I ha- I've had a couple of years off where I've set big boundaries and kind of stepped away from that relationship. And then when we moved back to Sweden, it became more natural to start to right. connect again, just with holidays and birthdays. And I have a lot of siblings. And um, so it's been kind of, she floats in and out. And I try to set boundaries and it works and then it doesn't work. And then we have space again. Yeah, It's not a very steady relationship, but she's a really great grandma. Mm. She's like the best grandma. And I really love, I love that for my daughter and not mm-hmm. for this little guy too. So right now we're in a good phase. I've just learned to accept that it's not the most stable relationship mm. in my life. And it's okay for me to step in and out depending on my needs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But what has happened since we moved here is is this I've deepened my relationship with my dad and with that side of the family and with my siblings here. There's nine of us. So Whoa. We have a big I have do have a big family. And now I ended up we bought a little homestead, a little farm. Um it's hundred and fifty meters away from where my great 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 grandfather lived and worked. Oh. That's <laughs> so we're so like cool. really back in these ancestral lands. Yeah, you are. Yeah. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you guys land back in Sweden, totally different phase. She's five yeah, mm-hmm. at this point. And when do you when do you even start thinking like for real, for real about another birth and about how you do things differently? And when does free birth come into your consciousness? I didn't think so much about it until we actually were pregnant. So my, our best friends, so my best friend, since I was little, married Dennis's best friend since he was little. Okay. We met at our wedding. It's very, very cute. That's very cute. <laughs> I know. Very, very cute. They got pregnant with their third and we were out to dinner. They told us like, we're going to have another baby. And then on the drive home, Dennis was like, it's now. Like, mm-hmm. if we're going to do it, let's go. Like, let's be pregnant when they're pregnant. Like, how fun would it be to kind of do this a little bit together? And then we started um just more actively and I wouldn't say trying it wasn't like we we're like this is it we just started inviting that I think more like opening up to it and then a month or two two months I don't know a couple months later it was my birthday and uh yeah we found out on my birthday it was a great birthday Aww, that's but it cute. wasn't until then that I started thinking about okay well birth what would that look like this time around pregnancy like I, I didn't have it was kind of like I shut that door until I was in the on that journey again. You mm-hmm. know? And Sweden is a really challenging place to be <laughs> for for um, anything that isn't conventional. Here, you know, the medical system, doctors are God. Like there's nothing that you revere more. Everyone kind of falls in line. You know, the system is in place for a reason. If you do anything differently, if you stick out in any way, people get actively really upset like i mean that that is most of the world yeah but if if you know sweden you'll know it's 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 worse here 
Okay. I don't know how to explain it. Swedish people are, um, okay, this is a great question for my husband who's Caribbean, right? He's like very different temperament. Like no one would ever in a million years ever cut in line. It's like never. And I mean, you see, like, it's a very American thing. I feel like to like, hey, I'm ready. I'm here. Like Swedish people are like, excuse me. You yeah. stand in line. You follow the rules. If you board a bus, you get on the bus. Everyone is sitting as far away from each other as they humanly possibly can. Whereas like where Dennis is from, if there's one person on the bus, you go sit next to that person to talk to them. You know, And if you do that in Sweden, they're like serial killer. Right, right. Like, you know, people are very, in mm-hmm. the, you know, it's cold and dark and you're in your own houses. It's people are more isolated and less, mm-hmm. less in community here mm-hmm. and more trusting of the system is what holds everything together kind of thing. So here, there fun. are <laughs> fun, great choice. Super you, can't, fun. you can't homeschool here. Homeschooling is illegal here. Whoa. Yeah. Bad France level. is doing that too. It's hard. Yeah. Okay. So, so super controlling and everyone loves it. Super controlling and everyone loves it. There's no birth centers here at all because there's a law against it um so there's no option really um you know home birth is like it it costs money in here we have universal health care everything is free you have to pay like four thousand dollars for a home birth and there's only six midwives that will attend a home birth in all of stockholm region which is like two million people live here so it's Mm -hmm. near impossible and you have to be really privileged to be able to afford and, and do a home birth here and I know four thousand dollars sounds like nothing for like an American who pays so much to give birth, birth in the system, but here yeah. that's a big deal because everything is free. Yeah, or mm-hmm. it's part of you know we 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 pay taxes that give us that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. Well, home birth is free. Mid- medical midwives in the system yeah. are what costs exactly. Yeah. The monies. Okay. So, yeah, take us into what you discover about yourself. Yeah. So the first thing that happens, well, I found out that we're pregnant. I don't know really how the system works here. Um, and I decide to go for a checkup, or not a checkup to kind of say, like, we're pregnant, what do we do? Like, how does it work here? So I didn't start the pregnancy off feeling like I'm going to have a free birth, I'm going to do this outside of the system. I knew I was going to do it at home, I wasn't going to do all the appointments, but I still kind of wanted to see, I guess, at the very early stage of like, how does it work here? So we go to a place that was recommended as like a very holistic down to earth, um, supportive of home birth kind of place. And as soon as we step in my whole being, like my whole, it was like a visceral experience, uh-huh. was like, leave, just leave. just. And then we ended up being in the wrong office. It was like all of the whole, all the signs were just like, get out, get out. Like we missed the appointment, it was the wrong office. They took us in and I was like, I don't really want to be here. I don't know why, why we're here. I don't want to be here. And then this woman goes, okay, so here is the app that you need to decide your hospitals. Here's this and this. And I go, oh, but I'm going to have a home birth. And she looks at me and kind of pushes her little file away. And she goes, oh, well, then we can't help you. Oh. And I go, oh, could you direct me to someone that that could? And no, you're, you're, yeah, I guess you, you can Google that. And from that moment on, she was so dismissive and like, you're crazy, basically. So we walked away. I cried the whole drive home. And I looked at that as I was like, this is, uh, that was the only appointment. That was it. <laughs> We're not, I'm not doing any, I'm not doing this whole thing again. Um, and he was like, I get it. Like, it was just very obvious. 
So I decided then I'm going to do this outside of the system as much as I as I want to, I guess. I wasn't committed to a wild pregnancy. I just was kind of feeling it out in a sense. Did you have words for that? Like, had no. you caught wind really. of all this stuff we got going on over here? <laughs> this whole world over here where <laughs> women just get pregnant and birth their babies and it's not a thing. Um, well, I have a good friend, Ashley, who lives in Costa Rica, who has oh, right. seven babies, who's birth free birth a lot of babies. So I, by then I knew about the free birth movement and that it's totally possible. And um, yeah, it wasn't crazy or that foreign. I just never contemplated it for myself until we left that office. And I'm like, okay, I'm not doing that. And then started opening up to uh, just the idea of doing it by myself. I still felt scared. I still felt like um, like I was doing something not allowed, like a little bit of shame, you know, I'm supposed to follow the rules and do it this way. The it, Swedish in you. <laughs> very the sweet in me was like, I don't know if this is what are people going to say? And yeah. so, so it wasn't a full on fuck the system. I'm doing this here now. It, it took me a couple of months of kind of wavering back and forth. I even met with a midwife. Yeah, as you know, I, which I talked to you about later who was very supportive with home births, who uh, my best friend birthed with her at, uh, yeah, at home. And, uh, and then decided to just opt out of that. Yeah. But it wasn't a full blown. Yes. I kind of had to, yeah, do, do my research and take time to really anchor into what I wanted. It's a big deal. I mean, it's a big deal in every, for every single layer. It's a big deal for your your orientation to the community that you've just re-landed in, your family. I'm also, you know, thinking about the layer of you having this whole audience online. That's like, yeah, <laughs> that was a big. What are you gonna do? I imagine they're <laughs> up your ass. You yeah. know, it's just so many. There's so many considerations about who you are in all these different spaces. Which also, and then there's also just, you know, you and what do you want and, and what's available to you. So, so what happens? Like how, how far into your pregnancy are you at this point? And how do you start to really figure out what you're going to do and claim your, your path? I, I decided I'm not going to talk about it online. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Step one. So I, I really shared minimal. It wasn't like wild pregnancy. Here's what I'm doing. I think when I was seven months, like kind of far along, I shared one post where I mm-hmm. shared that I have had minimal um, prenatal care, you know, in, in the system. I, I, I did go to two ultrasounds. I had one in Aruba, actually. We went to Aruba on vacation and I had a bleeding on the way there that kind of lasted and I got really scared. Um, so I went to a friend of a friend and did an ultrasound there, which kind of confirmed the pregnancy, uh, which was a really positive experience. Very, very sweet, very brief, like, okay, that was it. And then when I started researching, am I going to find a midwife to do this with me at home or am I going to do it alone? I hadn't decided. I found this, this woman who was very recommended, very sweet, really still like her a lot. But she told me, um, if you want to birth, at home without any prenatal care in the system. The only thing I want you to do is make sure you don't have placenta pre- previa, previa. How do you pronounce it in English? Previa. Previa, yeah. That's very important. And she told me this kind of big story of what could happen. And I never had that fear in my mind until that moment, of course. 
um, which was like, okay, I have to go check that. Now that's in my head. Now this is a fear. Two weeks later, I was still thinking about it. How would I know what would happen? It became a thing that wasn't there before. Um, so I ended up having a second ultrasound that I didn't want to have because I wanted to confirm that the placenta was in the right place. Uh, how and pregnant was, were you? Um, 25, maybe 24. Yeah, halfway or a little past halfway there. Which, you know, for anyone listening, that's not when previa can be determined. That's not when the location of the placenta matters. It's it's when you are term. It's when it's time to birth because the placenta will, you know, keep moving. And so it's such a racket. It's such a racket to fear monger and and inaccurately pitch these ideas. You know, placenta previa is incredibly rare and almost always presents with symptoms. But regardless of all of that, the placenta's position, just like the baby's position, is is irrelevant until the time of birth. But no one's telling anyone that. They're just, you know, planting all these these seeds of doubt. Right. <sighs> and I didn't know that. And I also that realization was like if I hadn't involved myself with the system here, even though that was like a great person right. that was pro home birth, I would have not had that fear. I would not have had that ultrasound. And in that ultrasound, she in this woman, she insisted I have a vaginal because so she wanted to, to check for the placenta with a vaginal ultrasound. And I said, I don't want that. I'm not doing any vaginal exams. And she goes, oh, why not? I said, I don't I don't want one. So if, if you can either, if this can't be a regular ultrasound, I'm going to leave. I, I don't want a vaginal one. And she goes, what, did you have some sort of trauma? <laughs> I'm like, oh, well, that's appropriate to ask in this setting. Like while I'm lying here on this bed, like, it's so crazy yeah and then she does the regular oh well this might not work I might not be able to even tell the positioning of your, of your placenta we always do this with a vaginal exam here so even so she kind of told me this might be for nothing now and I'm like okay can you please just do it and then tell me if it worked or not before you force yeah. me to shove something up my most you know and then she does it and she goes, oh, actually, your placenta is, is in a good spot. Everything is fine. I could, I can see it. And I'm like, okay, thank you. I'm glad you didn't make me, you know, I, I'm glad I didn't say yes to the, to the vaginal exam. And then I, I ask, and this was such an intense thing. So she's doing the ultrasound and I go, can you tell anything about the positioning of the baby? Just like, we're here, you know, could you share anything? And she goes, oh, let me check. And she like puts the, the device down. And forcefully, really oh. intense, without asking me, is this okay? Or without informing me, I'm going to do this now, puts her hands like deep in my pelvis to feel where she can feel the baby present. And it really hurt. It was like very, 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 very forceful. And she didn't ask consent. She didn't say, I'm going to do this now. Is that okay? She just like put her hands in there really intensely. And the whole experience was just shit from start to finish. And again, I'm going back home, like, why did I, why, like, why did I do this to myself? Again, affirm that, like, this is not, so far, nothing good has come out of any of these mm -hmm. visits. Like, why do I keep going back? Yeah. And that was my last interaction with, with the system of any. Or why do you keep letting people fearmonger you, I guess, is right. the, the broader question. The broader question. Yeah. But <sighs> I was kind of, you know, so the last, at least, let's say that was week 24 or something, the last everything after that was very peaceful because that was solidified. I'm not going right. to see anyone else or do anything else. 
And um, I, I mean, there's up- some there's some blessings in dipping your toe in because then what I find is that when women who need to dip their toe in prenatally, that will affirm to not fuck with it during the birth at all. And so there is a gift and kind of like that reminder because then it takes that little fantasy off the table. Yeah. Yeah. And I think if I hadn't had any interaction, maybe I would have, no, I, I, in the end it, it, it all made sense kind of in the end because it did solidify this. I, I just felt very sure that I can trust this instinct that this is not right for me. I feel it as we're driving there in the car. My whole body is like, I don't want to be here. I know this is not helpful, you know. So the last weeks, or I mean, the last months of pregnancy were just so peaceful. I was just home on the farm, didn't see any anyone that wasn't very, no, I was just so at peace. I didn't hear a single story about anything that could potentially be wrong. No one telling me this baby is so big, even though he was bigger than my than my first. I didn't have any stories in my head or any stories told me that were negative in any way, which was just the polar opposite of my first experience. So in this pregnancy, the further along I went, the happier and more at peace and more trusting I felt which whereas in the first one, it was the opposite. The further along I went, the, the more scared, the more terrified, the more pressure I felt. Totally. Well, cause you were, you were looking in, you were aligning with what was true for you. So what was supportive to you as you got the language and as you went deeper into your, you know, your cocoon, what are the things you used and called on that supported that? Nature was my my number one. I spent the last months of pregnancy basically floating in the lake here, um, going for dips every day, um, just gardening as much as I could, walking barefoot, just spending time outside. Um, I did have a lot of pelvic pain, which I now know, and, and, and pubic like symphysis pain, which I now know relates to my very incredibly weak pelvic floor. <laughs> like, and I had that pain very early on already from month four or five, I started getting a lot of, yeah, just pelvic issues. So I had a hard time in the end walking. Physically, it was a much more challenging pregnancy, but because mentally and emotionally, I was so grounded and, and stable. It was just the whole experience of the pregnancy was just amazing. And it was such a, such a healing thing to get to experience that. And in the end, to get to go over you know over the bullshit time (laughs) that they say but to sit there 40 41 getting to 42 weeks feeling so at peace knowing completely that this baby is going to come when he's ready to come and I don't have to look outside of myself for any kind of permission or any kind of confirmation that what I'm doing is the right thing I just I just know and it was, yeah, those last weeks were the most beautiful weeks of, of pregnancy. Who did you tell? About the whole... Like your choice. Like, did did you did your close people know that you were going to be doing this? And, and I'm curious how it was with your partner. Anything you want to speak about, like the setup? Uh, I mean, I, I feel like I told family, but <laughs> not until... Until 
the baby was born that both my brother and my dad, who I spend a lot of time, especially my brother, he, he was here every single day for the last weeks of pregnancy. When the baby was born, they were like, we didn't understand that you were going to be alone. <laughs> they were so supportive. And I even told Dennis, I'm like, I'm so surprised and happy that they are not once have they said, well, sh shouldn't you be at the hospital? Like they were That's just funny. all out supportive. But that was because they didn't know. They Did didn't they know. assume you had a medical midwife? Yeah. Okay. They assumed, or they assumed someone would be here, like a doula. Uh -huh. or like, I don't know. They just had some idea of someone being here. And, so you weren't uh, like, I'm having a free birth and this is what this means. I kind of said, I'm going to do it alone at home. Like I, I, that was my, <laughs> I'm going to do it alone at home. They were like, okay, you know, that's, that makes sense. You don't like hospital. Like, why would you go to the hospital? And they mm -hmm. do, I wanted them home birth the first time around. Um, and I did tell my mom, but it came with a condition of, it's really important that um, any fear that you have that comes up around this, which I knew would happen, um, that mm -hmm. you voice that with other people that you vent with other people that it, I'm not the person for you to process that with. Um, and apparently she and my dad bonded. They don't really talk. They don't have a great relationship. They bonded in my last days of pregnancy, worried that I was so overdue yeah. and I'm birthing at home. And Oh my God, what if something goes wrong? But they were talking to each other and not to me, which was really nice. So no one in my immediate family or friends uh, ever questioned or said anything like, are you, are you sure? Kind of thing. I had one friend, a good friend who had a traumatic birth, who um, raced it, kind of tried to be very sensitive about it in the very, it was my last days of pregnancy and, and asked Dennis, if something goes wrong, what are you going to do? And um, what do you think? What do you think? Yeah. <laughs> so dumb. But it was, and that was it. That was the only, that was the only thing, you know? And it was kind of, it brought me and Dennis closer together because he he felt like that was inappropriate. I don't like how she voiced that with me and she didn't talk to you. And mm -hmm. um, it was just bringing fear into the last days of pregnancy, which is not what we need. And um, yeah, it ended up being a, a good thing also. So did uh, you yeah, guys as a couple? Tell the internet, though. I didn't, I, I kind of, I didn't tell the internet in the yeah. big way. I just kind of said, I'm, I'm going to birth at home and I want to you know, kind of be alone. We'll, we'll, we'll see what happens kind of thing. Um, which I'm glad I didn't do because I'm glad I protected my space. Yeah. My God, of course. I see no benefit. Also, you're not public property, you know, yeah. like no one's entitled Instagram or not. I mean, this also is, this is for people just navigating their families. Like no one's entitled to your personal decisions. And though the world still in, in large part views women as public property, we don't have to um, participate, right, in that. And and there is some bizarre thing when you match someone with any sort of following and pregnancy, there is this bizarre entitlement that, yeah, no, that comes out by fucking strangers. Like my mom, I get that. <laughs> you know? Yeah. If anyone no, gets that question, it's, and it's really almost like they're, 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 they're fishing for what is she mm -hmm. doing? That isn't what I would do. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's so triggering. It's such a big thing. And I did talk about it. I have a podcast, a weekly podcast, and I feel like my podcast community is so different than the Instagram mm -hmm. community. In a good um, way. That you don't, in a great way. Yeah. And it's also that you don't have this immediate like <clears throat> comment. I share something and then someone's like writing on that mm -hmm. post. Well, this is dumb or this mm -hmm. is unsafe, but on the podcast it's very intimate. It, I, I only get positive response there. Cause I feel like if you're listening to me talk for an hour and a half every week, you probably 
like what I'm doing. <laughs> well, it requires a very real investment, right? right? Like someone to spend 90 minutes listening to you is really different than like a troll looking at a pic, you totally. know, those are very different. In Sharing terms it of there, I felt like I could process it. I felt like I could open up and I felt really safe and really great. But um, specifically social media and Instagram, I just kept it very, very quiet. And the yeah. one yeah. post I shared, and I think I just had a hashtag. It was like a hashtag wild pregnancy where I shared, like I, I've kept this, it was very vague. Like I have, I've only been to very few appointments and mostly been very undisturbed this whole pregnancy. It's not even a fully wild pregnancy because I did interact right. with the system. But I had to turn the comments off on that post. And I have only done that once before in 12 or 10 years on Instagram. Yeah. Nothing freaks well, people that, out. Nothing freaks people out more. Yeah. It was crazy. And the amounts of attacks on mothers and people, it was, it was, it was violent, really. Ugh. Okay. So, we'll get back to Instagram later. Yeah, yeah. Let's get back to your, <laughs> your personal journey. So anything else that you want to share about your third trimester, about lessons of it you know obviously there's stuff to say about the very end but um it sounds like you didn't really tell a lot of people you really practiced new boundaries of self-protection just kind of had a beautiful last couple of weeks with your family what else might you want to say uh, no I think that's pretty much it there was a big I, I think the last days of pregnancy were the safest I have ever felt in my body. Mm. It was so healing, not just from the first birth, but just from a lot of what I've dealt with in my body throughout my life. It was really, really beautiful. I miss it. And I, I wouldn't think I would say that because it was also hard and heavy and I had pain and all of that, but there was just this big feeling of trust, which was mm. so And deserved. Yeah, and then... I mean, it was summer, it was June. So Sweden and summer in Sweden is really special because it's so dark and cold so much of the year. And um, I had decided, so for the birth, I wanted my husband there. And then I have my best friend who is who doesn't have kids, never attended a birth, has no connection or ideas to what birth is supposed to or not supposed to be. Uh, I wanted her here to kind of be a, a little safekeeper for our daughter so that yeah. she would be hundred percent taken care of and the, and from for our daughter to be there and uh it was 42 weeks or the day before 42 something like that she casually came over not for birth I, we live an hour away but casually to hang because it was like a beautiful summer day let's go swimming let's hang out and then my other friend in the morning said well don't you think maybe you're going to go into labor because Michaela is coming today like maybe the baby's gonna feel like everyone's here now and I'm like oh wouldn't that be nice but I'm sure I have another week to go like I just thought I would go longer this time for some reason and then she arrived and like an hour in to her being here I started feeling like huh, that felt like more than <laughs> more than just nothing you know that's cute very cute it was kind of like he was waiting for the little village to gather here and I labored throughout the day but just very casually like still cooking and talking and kind of pausing to to embrace a surge when it came my way but then continuing what I'm doing like it was really I didn't think labor was on I thought this is kind of pre early maybe it's going to be days kind of thing I was really set on not calling it as like oh my god freaking out it started just very casual we had a barbecue we ate and I remember at dinner time I had to really pause when I was speaking 
and I and then as um, and Michaela were looking at me like, are you? Is it happening? I'm like, no, 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 nothing's happening. This is like this is going to be three days of this, you know, at least. So just go about. No one freak out. This is nothing. And um, but I think I kind of felt like it's something, but I didn't want to preemptively call it either. So I put Leia to bed. Um, we decide for some reason to watch a movie, even though it's really late. We turn on some weird movie. I don't even remember what it was. Some weird movie. 10 minutes into the movie, I really have to kind of go inward because the, the sensations are getting so intense, but I'm not saying anything to anybody. And your girlfriend's still there? Yeah, she's still there. She was going to spend the night anyway. Um, but I hadn't even told Dennis. It wasn't like I told him, like, it's on because I was still kind of just like, this. I'm just doing this on my own. We'll see if it's the real deal or, or not. But five minutes into the movie, I hear snoring on my right side. Dennis is sleeping. And I look to my left. Michaela's asleep. I'm like, everyone's asleep. I'm in labor. Like, I know now. Like, why am I watching a movie at, like, 10 o'clock? <laughs> I need to go to bed. <laughs> like, I need to sleep. I need to rest. If this is it, I really need that, that resting time. So we go to bed. I lie down. Then this is asleep right away. I lie down. And then a wave comes. And it's so intense immediately that I have to sit back up. Like, okay, I couldn't. Couldn't lie down. And I realized, like, labor is really on, on, on. Like, I'm not going to be able to sleep. It was fairly intense right away so what I did just those those first hours this was 11 p.m something like that I realized this is happening and I want to be alone I'm not going to wake Dennis up I'm not going to go tell Michaela it's happening you know everyone's sleeping I'm glad everyone is sleeping I just really want to be alone um, but it was kind of nice that Dennis was asleep next to me because I had his presence even though he wasn't aware <laughs> somehow like it's kind of <laughs> like waking him seemed like a like a hassle you know <laughs> I don't know but I I what I did is I I suddenly became very sensitive to just the space in the, in the bedroom and I spent a lot of time like dealing with the lights I lit a candle it was too bright so we have a little Himalayan salt lamp it was also too bright so I was like messing with the curtains and then I had to really pause and kind of hold on to something because the contractions were really, really strong. And then the wave would pass and I would go back to like messing around with the lights in the room. It was really bizarre. Like, like I, it was pre, just, it's like pre-production. Pre-production. <laughs> I don't know. But I had this feeling like it has to be just right. Uh -huh. It has to be perfect. So I had to cover this lamp with like this curtain in a specific way. No candles. Really fun. And then yeah. I... I turn on some music some like fed up waves meditation something on my phone and then I sat down like in bed with all these pillows and the moment I sat down I realized okay I'm not gonna move after this like this is it now and I spent at least like five or so hours just completely still I couldn't move it was too Whoa. painful when I moved um and you're I, sitting in bed sitting, leaning back kind of as if I was this is the way I breastfeed now just kind of with a lot of pillows sitting up legs out in front of me and just letting these waves of electricity wash over me and as long as I was completely still and completely quiet and completely with my breath and inward I could manage everything it was really like it's basically yeah. an ice bath yeah yeah it really was that like it was like an ice bath except not at all <laughs> It's like an ice bath, except in no way at all. Literally no way. <laughs> Other than that, if you move, it's worse. 
And then if you move, exactly. If you're totally still, it's fine. No, but it really was. It was like I was in my, it was like I went inside of myself somehow. And I hook on to this sentence uh, where I, I could see my vagina as like a portal. And if I, when a wave came, if I imagined myself going into my own portal, like that's the source of where the electricity is coming from and the pain. If I went in, then I could manage. If I try to go out and escape, then I couldn't manage kind of thing. And, uh, and I just did that. And then I had this idea of, oh, I'm supposed to move. I'm in labor. It's good to move. I should be in different positions. It's good for my pelvis to receive these waves in different ways. I tried to stand up and I was like, I was knocked back down. I just, I could not move. And at some point I get really thirsty and I realize it's been hours. I'm sitting here. I, I haven't had any water. I'm all alone in my little portal. Like, it's so, so intense. And you're like Samadhi, like Something. enlightened state, not moving. Not moving, getting dehydrated, looking for enlightenment. No, but it really was. The pain, it was a very physical experience this time around. Cool. The pain was, oh, baby boy. Uh-oh. We're going into the next cycle now. Mm -hmm. The portal. <laughs> into the portal. It's going to be a three-hour episode. <laughs> I think he's going to go put him down or am I feeding him? Okay, we're okay. Yeah. We'll know in five minutes if we're okay. Yeah. Okay. Um... So yeah, a few hours pass. I realize I'm really thirsty. I'm gonna, it's time to wake Dennis up. Like I need some presence now. So I kind of reach an arm out and I shake him and I'm like, it's on. And he goes, oh, okay. I'm like, no, it's on. Like it's very on. He goes, oh, okay. And I say water and he goes, uh huh, uh huh. And then he leaves and he gets water and he comes back and it's like, why is it so fucking dark in here? Why is the curtain covering the lamp? Don't so touch weird. anything. <laughs> so he like pulls the curtain off and I'm like blinded by the sun. You know, I'm just like, like a vampire. It's just like, put it back, put it back. <laughs> and he doesn't understand what I'm saying. Like, because he joined me. I'm on this journey, psychedelic right. journey. And he joined me like way down the line. Like he was mm -hmm. not in my space, in my sphere at all. Um. And then he was kind of by my side, kind of useless, just kind of annoying me by breathing. Like his breathing was too loud. He wasn't doing everything right. It was yeah. something like, just, just go back to bed. And then he tried. And then I was like, no, be with me. No, go back to bed. Like, can you please leave? But can you also fully be embodied with me at the same yeah, time? Yeah, I was going to say, actually, could you just like drop down into a deep meditative state? Please. That would actually no. be ideal. That would be and ideal. also get me water. And also don't breathe. Just like hold your breath. Like, uh, no, it was really hard for him, I think. But this is now it's like five o'clock or something in the morning. And I realized like, okay, I, I think I'm going to have this baby soon. We should fill the pool. Are you still just not moving? Uh, not moving. I have not moved. Like I have not gotten out of bed. That's so I'm weird. Sitting. Isn't it so insane? It's so insane. <laughs> it's, it's quite unusual. Right? You like it's meditated your way through your labor yeah but it was also like the pain was so electrifying like from head to toe it was the only thing I could do was not move like hmm. it was it's really really strange I I don't know and is and it also was it yeah. partially about your your pubis like your pubic pain was that present no around okay no, it was no. just like labor sensations it was just labor sensations okay. yeah 
but much worse than what I experienced with with Leia in terms of pain level, but yeah. much better because I was very trusting. And it's going faster. And it's going faster. But pain wise, it was much, 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 much more painful than the first mm-hmm. time around. But it was also enveloped in this complete purposefulness and trust and like godlike connection to something. So it was okay. So when you're si- when you're in the bed in your little portal, not moving, are you vocalizing? No. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I'm trying to picture this. Okay. What is this so you're about? silent and not moving. In bed, yeah, I'm not moving. I'm not I'm okay. silent, I'm not moving. I'm just like, yeah, now that I was speaking out loud, it's really it's really crazy. I have never and there was no obviously we don't have it on film because I didn't wake him up. But yeah, if I saw a birth video like that, I would be like, what the fuck is she doing? <laughs> what is even happening? <laughs> Yeah, at when some you point, when you get out of bed it, to the I just need to know this when you get out of bed to the point that the baby comes out, what? How much time do we have there? We have four hours. Okay, so there's there's some. It's not like you. It's not like I'm just lying there and then his head came out. No, that is <laughs> okay. not it. That is okay. not it. That is not it. No, there's still hours to go. Yeah. I think if I counted the way I counted when Leah was born, my first pregnancy, because I counted it from the early sensations, like it was 24 hours. It probably was 24 with this one yeah. too. Mm-hmm. But we went, it was from 11 till 10. So kind of 11 hours-ish. But um, but just from that big intensity until that he came. Mm-hmm. But so I tell him to go, like we have to fill the birth pool, uh, go do it. And then I'm like, but don't go, but stay. And at this point, I'm like, he has woken Michaela because he's it's very clear. Like this baby is coming. So of course, Michaela is awake. So why can't Michaela fill the birth pool and you can stay with me? He was like, let's not disturb her. <laughs> She's let's what? let her sleep. <laughs> no. And she was so upset the next day. He, uh, texted yeah. her, he texted her. Rachel is in labor. And she goes, for the past two months, I have not had a single glass of wine so I can get in the car at any moment to go to you. I have had no appointments, no dates. I haven't gone anywhere. And I've had my phone on by my side every night. But this night, because I'm at your house sleeping in, in the, the next room, <laughs> yeah. I turned my phone off. No. <laughs> I figured no. if you're in labor, Dennis will let me know. And he like texts her and her phone is off. So she, she like the whole night. So anyway, he goes down to fill the pool. I kind of follow. And uh, and it's taking a long time. Like, it's a big, it's a pool. And yeah. he goes, why don't you get in the tub? Like, just do the tub first. Because it fills really quickly while I fill the pool. And then you can transition. And I'm like, okay. And I was looking forward to the water. Like, I was really thinking, this pain is going to get manageable. It's going to be like everyone says when you have a water birth. You get in the water and the water is, like, somehow magically. <laughs> like Some people say that. <laughs> people say that yeah. I feel like a lot of people say that and I was really looking forward to this big amazing like I was going to be bathing in an epidural or something <laughs> just like swimming and all the pain's going to go away like the only thing that happened was that like the contractions stayed the same I was just wet right <laughs> no, yes there was no no difference like, I-, I will say those were very high expectations <laughs> <laughs> that's true yeah I don't know I really thought it would make it and I kind of lived in that tub all pregnancy I was in the bath every day so I really thought this is going to be like a a shift but no pain and pain is just getting even though I'm at a 10 out of 10 it keeps getting more and more intense 
you discover the chart's actually up to a 50. <laughs> the chart yeah. goes to 1 billion. Like it yeah. cannot get more painful. And it kept getting more painful. And then at some point, yeah, he fills the pool. I transition to the pool. And I realize in the pool, I have to actually, like I, I wanted to move a little bit. So I'm like on my knees, but that didn't feel right. So then I go back to the same position I was in in bed. And then I was like, let's try it on my side. And then no. And I, I ended up in that same position that I was up there. And I think at this point, I am really vocalizing. Like I realize I, I just start to kind of moan and ohm and, and I hook. Uh, is everything okay? Okay, you cannot come in, darling. I'm coming out soon. No. Can I come in? No. Um, and I start vocalizing, and then I, I hook onto the sentence where I say, into the portal. And I'm just, like, repeating that. And I'm like, into the portal. <laughs> into the portal. And I just imagine myself diving into my yoni again and again and again and again this is going to be your episode title <laughs> rachel yoga girl dives into her own yoni <laughs> it made so much sense at the time love it <laughs> hey there's an alarm going off can you hear that no you can't okay mm -mm. um and then now i think this is the moment leia wakes up so Michaela wakes up and Leia wakes up and Michaela's like, what the hell is happening? There's a birth pool, like full of water. Rachel is yelling into the portal. <laughs> Leia needs to have breakfast. All these things are, are happening. And at this point, I, it's starting, I think I was in transition. It's starting to get like unmanageable, unbearable, un, it's just not, you know. And then Dennis goes, hey, Olivia texted my best friend who gave birth at home four months earlier. Uh, and she and she's asking if you checked if you could feel the head and I'm like he says this and I'm pulled out of my yoni portal and yeah. I realize oh wait I'm in labor there's a baby coming maybe I can feel like I started just having a very physical mm -hmm. logistical relationship again to the fact that there's a baby coming I was just on another planet mm -hmm. and I realize this and I go oh okay and I go on my knees and I feel the head I had to go kind of far but I could feel his head and that shifted just the whole energy of everything like oh I was more brought down to earth he's actually coming right I'm giving birth I'm not in space okay <laughs> and, then, and then I would go back receive a contraction and then go back on my knees and feel again and every time I could feel like little by little he really was moving down and it was a very cool experience to to be able to measure that like this is moving things forward this is unbearable this pain is unreal but it's bringing him down it's bringing him down and uh, in the middle of this like I can't talk anymore I can't communicate anything to anyone Dennis is bringing me the wrong kind of drinks <laughs> and at some point in the middle of this moment I think probably transition like the peak of the hardest moment he goes do you want coconut water or regular water <laughs> no <laughs> no <laughs> It's like, how, how are you alive in this world? And I am in this yeah, world and right. talking to me as if I can answer that. Like, I just don't understand. Like it was, yeah. And he gets in the pool with me and he starts putting some pressure on my hips and lower back, which was really helpful. And this is the moment where I smell the smell of coffee. 
somehow. Poor Dennis. <laughs> he has, with one hand, texted or told Michaela somehow that he's like, he needs coffee. Sure. <laughs> he's a barista. He roasts his own coffee. Coffee is like a very big deal for him. And I smell coffee and I hear Leia that like in the other room. And I'm like, how, how is your coffee being made in this house? When I'm like in the depths of fire, mm-hmm. like I'm walking through fire and they're just making fucking espresso in the kitchen. Like just it's another day. Like, yeah. <laughs> just another day. Yeah. Leia comes in. Um and I and she goes, Oh, mommy, is it happening? And I say, Yes. And I was able to kind of like look at her and I say, Yes, the baby's coming. Like I could anchor with her. She holds my hand and she says, uh, breathe in, breathe out, uh, inhale. <laughs> and then she says, Think of all the good things in the world. Mommy, please think of everything that's beautiful. Cute. Yeah, very cute. And uh, all the while, like this was very, very, very late. Like I'm feeling his head. It's getting closer. It's getting closer. Finally, he's like crowning. But for some reason, Dennis doesn't understand that the baby's this close. He hasn't seen a birth in this way, obviously, before. I'm very loud. Like I'm really, really vocalizing now. And, I and he's behind him. you. He's behind me. So he can't see. He can't see. Yeah. I just say, I, all I say is I feel his head. And I've said the same thing five times. Like I kept checking. I feel it. But I didn't say it's closer or, you know, he didn't really know. And then Leia comes in again and makes a joke with Dennis. There was I don't know what they were joking. They have a really cute relationship. There was like a joke being made. And I realized this is the wrong energy for what we're doing. <laughs> I need you to not. You There's nothing here. funny going on right now (laughs) and I call from Michaela I'm like Michaela get in here and hold some fucking space (laughs) and she and she said up until that point she had kind of thought I wanted to be alone and she comes in and I grab a hold of her so I go to the front of the pool and I'm like hanging over the pool holding her arms like digging my nails into her arms then is behind me and um and and his and I'm and 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 he's crowning like he's coming, but they don't get that. They think this is contractions. So his head comes out in the next contraction, and I hold his whole head in my in my hand, and I say, "His head is out." <laughs> and Michaela goes, "What? The head?" And and I feel that everyone scrambles like there's no oh, video no. no one's filming you guys i know <laughs> and i'm like how do they not know like my vagina is like being pulled in every direction i'm like yeah. this is unbelievable and they're just like no 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 one was on the same trip as me mm-hmm. <laughs> in that, that bathroom but i yeah well, and and also to their credit they were brand new at this <laughs> Yeah. yeah, first time. They, they anyone has seen a birth. Like, if there was a birth keeper yeah. or something there, they would know. Like, this of is course. happening now, of course. The camera would be that. on. The coffee would be being drank in a different room. Exactly. Totally. Yeah. But it was also nice that everyone was just very, like, oh, you know, it was very so sweet. Very sweet. And Leia had just left the bathroom because she thought it got too loud. I was vocalizing, vocalizing really loudly. So I heard her little steps There's- up the. Sorry, there's also this cute thing about with Michaela, because you've had these, what turns out to be, you know, uh, what's the right word, disappointing or harmful dynamics with hierarchies in birth, that you purposely have a girlfriend that you clearly feel very very safe with and comfortable with, and are in a non-hierarchical dynamic with, 
you know, even the vision of you being like, get in here and hold some space. Like that's not something you would have probably yelled at a midwife, you know? And so there's something really beautiful about the amateurness of it, you know? And of course it's what you chose, right? And you chose it very intentionally. And it's a, it's a beautiful piece of you yelling that at her because we don't do that. And we don't like yell for what we need in positions of authority or two positions of authority, you know, but to your sister, you got to really scream for what you needed in that moment. It's really sweet. And it was amazing that she was also able to provide that in her totality. You know, there was no feeling of like, am I doing something wrong? Or do you need this? It was like, I could state my needs and she could meet that need. Mm -hmm. So it was really, no, it was, it was beautiful. So then I, I hear that Leah, Leah wasn't there. So I'm, I'm aware enough that I know she's not there. And I really wanted her to be in the room. She really wanted to be in the room. So I yell, like, Leah, his head is out. And she runs back down. She makes it into the room right right in time. Oh. I have his whole face and his whole head in my hands. And, yeah, all the pain went away. This was, like, a very, very cool, maybe the coolest moment of the whole birth was that some sort of vacuum happened in time where I can't hear anything else. Nothing else exists. It's just his head is in my head. It's in my hand. And I feel his whole body turning. It was like a fish feeling like moving inside of me. And I could really feel every millimeter of his whole, this full body turn that he's doing. And at no point, this was also very important for me. I think at no point did I really feel like I had to force or, there was a little bit of pushing where I intentionally realized if I push a little bit, this pain will be over faster. <laughs> like if I push a little bit, he will come down. But it was barely like I was kind of touching at like a 5% of like a push, you know, it was just like, I'm kind of present there with my, yeah, with, 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 with that energy there. And then the final push, it was like, it kind of happened on his, on its own. And, and he comes out and I feel, I kind of, I sit back to grab him because I was on my knees holding Michaela and Dennis behind me and Dennis sits back with me and I pull him up on my chest and he's silent and he has the cord wrapped kind of in a funny way. Like it's around his neck, but it's also like a seatbelt. Like it was around his body. And as soon as I see that, I realize, oh, I knew this was going to happen. Like I knew he would have the cord. I really totally knew. I'm not at all nervous about that. I just... I just realized because it was wrapped twice in a weird way. I didn't know which way Mm -hmm. to begin unwrapping. I don't want to pull on the placenta. So there's a moment where I'm like, it's just a second, but I'm like evaluating this baby with this cord and like, okay, this way. Uh And then I pull the the cord off of his, off of his body. And as soon as the cord goes off, he lets out this like roar, this big scream, like, Mm -hmm. and he's really, really vocalizing, really making his presence known, like, right away just was very 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 alive and very you know when I pulled Leia on my chest the first time my first thought was oh she's alive Mm. like there was a part of me that thought that maybe I'm gonna birth a dead baby because Ah. all these people told me that this is so dangerous and she's it's not gonna work and with him it was like he was the most alive baby ever like you know it was really like of course he's alive and well like it was such a Mm closing of that of that mm-hmm. wound in that moment it was right awesome. because there's so many layers of the unconscious and of the stories that shape us that are going on in the background exactly love yeah. it okay love so it. he comes out he's so alive leia made it 
Leah made it. <laughs> we have it on video. Just It's a one and a half minute video. That's all I have from the whole birth. <laughs> it's that moment. And Leah's there. And we're all kind of in, in. Yeah, she's on the side of the pool. Our dog is trying to get into the pool. <laughs> Apparently at some point, Dennis thought, like at some point near the end, that I had pooped in the water. And we had this little like sieve thing. Mm. He goes to to take it out. But it was the mucus plug that came mm. really late. Mm. So he like puts it on the floor just to get it out and the dog ate it yeah okay yeah he was just like so very present yeah the dog just took it and ran and had a great little snack but the fact that the dog you're even more bonded her. you're even more bonded <laughs> to the dog now so wait did you even say when your water broke no i didn't because it happened in the water, in the water. it happened yeah. really late mm-hmm. and it was uh and it was kind of like I didn't know it wasn't very obvious I okay. think I just I think the waters broke because I felt like a little bit of a rush like a mm-hmm. but then when I felt his head it also felt like there was a big but it could also just been a slimy head so yeah it wasn't a big deal the water just broke at some point I I assume but it wasn't like it happened in the waters like yeah it's harder to tell in the water right right um but yeah and then I'm just crying I cry and cry and cry I just fully can't stop crying it's just it was mm. a very very emotional moment just the relief of it but it was still very physically painful like after he mm. he it, it contractions didn't end um I did right you, away yeah. did you find the sex out in the ultrasounds or was yeah, he a we knew, we knew it was a boy yeah. okay yeah. at some point I double checked but yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was like oh that's different (laughs) you're still in pain I'm still in pain I want to get out of the tub almost right away like I started feeling kind of cold so we had a little mattress on the floor with some pillows and I I get there and I lean back but I'm still in very intense pain like contractions are still coming very uncomfortable like I didn't have this rush of oxytocin and oh my god relief because uh yeah because of the placenta I think still still Mm -hmm. uh, still there so I drank some broth I we, we really had this little cocoon that was so preserved no phone calls we didn't n- nothing disturbing anything just all of us cocooning in that little bubble with the baby he went to the breast right away like it was very very sweet and beautiful but I was like I need to do something like I need to get this placenta out yeah and uh so I yeah I think I had planned that if it doesn't work out because I heard you say to like cough can help get the placenta out but I just went into a squat with the baby and I wrapped the, my fingers around the umbilical cord and I just yanked mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> that's exactly what I did, <laughs> that's what yeah. you did. Mm-hmm. and it, it was such a release and it was huge it was a really big we didn't weigh it I forgot to weigh it I, sh- I wanted to weigh it but it was a really big placenta so it makes sense that it felt really great to get it out <laughs> yeah totally. I so relate yeah it's very primal very primal yeah. yeah and then it was like oh okay that was the biggest relief that's when I felt like okay like now we've made it we were so how long was that with the placenta do you remember roughly I think 20-30 minutes maybe I had said because we'd gone over it before just with Dennis and Michaela I had said if after 45 or an hour something you know nothing has happened can you remind me it's just I don't know in case I wouldn't think about it or well, those are for the births. Yeah, yeah, those are for the births where the mom isn't bothered by the placenta in it. Right. Inside, I mean, but the births 
where you can't like freaking relax until it's out. Right. Those usually come out pretty quickly. They come out pretty quickly. Oh, yeah. yeah. I had like a little tincture, you know, I had a a postpartum tea, like I had things that I had just mentioned, like maybe I will want to use these things. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But none of that was necessary at all. Yeah. A good old yank will do ya. A good old yank was all that was needed. Yeah. And then um, eventually we transitioned to a bed in the next room. And uh, my brother came. (laughs) This is when I found out that my brother thought that there was going to be a midwife here. So he walks in and there's like, because I yanked the placenta out, there was a lot of blood on my feet. Mm-hmm. And I didn't shower or anything. So I was just kind of covered in blood and the bathroom was a mess. And my brother has never, I think, seen a birth video. You know, he's 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 not really in that place. He walks in like, oh, you know, this happened like this. No one was here. It's just just you. You're still covered <laughs> in blood. Still covered in blood. Okay. Yeah. And he brought food and they made a big huge like brunch spread with eggs and bacon and cake and fruit salad and champagne and it was like so so beautiful we stayed in bed until I think at three uh, three hours or something we did a um, we burned the cord and um after that we ate how'd that feel to do the cord burning after last time it being cut it was really nice to to get to keep it until I really felt like it's time. Like it started getting a little cold and, you know, it really felt like this is it. It was really beautiful to get to communicate with him. Like I explained to him what was going to happen and he felt like he was really listening and looking at me. And and, um, it felt like a, like a gentle, just gentle ceremony to, to release that. Mm -hmm. But it was also, it took a while. Mm -hmm. For anyone who's ever met my husband, he's the most sarcastic like he's, he has a really big sense of humor. So after like a few minutes of this, like very sacred, <laughs> you know, it's still not happening. And he starts making jokes. Yeah. He's like, Where did you get these? Can- we had like beeswax candles from mm-hmm. the. Oh, it could take like market. a half hour. He's like, what are these like janky candles yeah. that you have? Like, these are not going to do the trick. I'll be back. And then he goes, with, gets the Ikea candles. He's like, these, <laughs> they're going to, they're going to, they're going to work much better and uh yeah it took it took like 15 minutes or something mm-hmm. for the court to, to go but I'm really glad we did that and it was also just well, not 15 but at least like 10 quiet minutes in a dark room mm-hmm. with candles lit all of us gathered just it really felt like a closing of that whole mm-hmm. sort of journey yeah, so I loved it. and having Leia I'm assuming she was there yeah she was holding the candle and so yeah. sweet very very sweet I mean this is birth on on your terms you know, like this is your pace, your story, your decisions, your knowing like this is this is so redemptive, you know, and this is available to any woman who wants it. That's you know, yeah. it's so beautiful and so important. Anything you want to share about your postpartum? I took it easy. And I'm really glad I, I did. I spent almost two weeks in bed where I was really in bed for most of the time and had Dennis or Michaela bring me. But Michaela stayed for the postpartum time, which was we hadn't planned for that. And I it was the greatest blessing just to have That's someone awesome. that wasn't just Dennis there. I mean, she changed my pads for me when I was holding the baby. Like it was a very, very beautiful mm. expression of sisterhood. I'm so glad mm. we had her here. And um no, I feel 
I just feel good this time around. I didn't feel a rush. I really feel like that pace of the birth and that going inward <laughs> into the portal, like the portal kind of stayed for the first two weeks, at least I really felt like mm. we were in this cocoon where there was no rush to do anything or go anywhere and just getting to know each other. And it's been a really beautiful postpartum time. So good. Hmm. We did it. 11 weeks and we did it. We did a podcast about the birth. That's so crazy. About your free birth. (laughs) So good. Awesome. Well, so beautiful. I'm so proud of you. And I'm, I'm reminded of one of my favorite quotes of Sister Morningstar. And she says, what one woman can do, all women can do. And I hope anyone hearing this really internalizes that and and lets that be true because you and I chose this right for ourselves in our own way and it's it's what's available to anyone anyone listening and anyone interested and that's that's really the most um that's the thing that connects all of us you know is motherhood is all all people born come from women come from mothers and there's this you know golden chain of mothers around the world who are opting into self responsibility and opting into healing and opting into intact birth and it's so um it's it's not an exclusive club it's it's available you know to anyone who just wants to turn on that consciousness and claim it for their own and i'm so proud that you did it and i'm so happy for you and your family thank you and i'm so grateful for you i mean listening to the free birth podcasts when i was pregnant was so so crucial just to hear these stories of everyday women doing it this way de-dramatizes the whole thing and makes it mm-hmm. feel so down to earth and mundane like that was maybe my best the best part of this birth was just how normal it was yeah we were just sitting there having breakfast right afterwards and right going about our lives like that was something that that part of it I really feel happy that I get to share that it was just- well and from one your your mom's traumatic births to you laying in bed with your family in bliss and ecstasy like how quickly we can shift our lineage's story and set a new tone and set a healed tone and a, you know, like a whole new up level. It's so, it's so inspiring how quickly we can do it, you know, through the generations and that your daughter watched you birth and was a part of all of this. And it just can change so fast for the better. It's so yeah, cool. And I remember hearing you say also just connecting back to the lineage of it was only a couple of generations ago that our own ancestors birthed exactly in this way. And I think because I have ancestors from this area, I wonder on this farm, like on this homestead, just a couple oh, of generations yeah. ago, babies were oh, born. Like this, yeah. you know? and we got to do that again. And it just feels so, <clears throat> so special. And you set a tone for for uh, you know living by example, right? Is such a is such a cool part of having eyes on you is is you know your own daughters and then you know the wider world. It's just so exciting of what becomes possible because that that's what everyone says about the podcast is just hearing that it's possible for all these other women makes it possible for me. And I guess that that is a question I have for you before we end is how has it felt? to hold this space and and kind of come out like I know you posted the the cool video 
of grabbing your baby and and I think you said it was a free birth in the in the caption so but beyond just Instagram like in your community in your friends what does it feel like to be on the other side of it and and be public about it it's both amazing and also really really challenging at the same time especially living here in in Sweden so I mean posting that video I think at the point where I had like 4,000 comments and 99% of them are overwhelmingly positive, so positive, big comments from women saying this is changing how I view birth and this is healing to watch and oh my God, I never wanted kids, but now maybe I do like big, big, big things. And then there is a few, like say 100 or 200 out of those 4,000 negative people, you know, this is dangerous, you're promoting something, blah, blah, blah. And then here in Sweden, there was articles in the media with the mm. title uh, yoga girl criticized for dangerous free birth. And I'm yeah. like, you're picking this 1% criticizing. Can you, how about we focus on the 99% that were celebrating? Well, that wouldn't, that wouldn't make any interesting headlines in fear, exactly. fear world. Did, were, did you feel kind of prepared for that? Like this isn't your first rodeo with public criticism. Yeah. I don't want to be in the place where I debate my choice no. to put it this way. Um, and that's kind of where they want me to go. You know? Of course. Yeah. So I'm trying to tread that path as carefully as I can, where I still, without saying, because if I say, hey, I think every single person should birth this way, is putting myself in a place of getting really attacked by people who, um, yeah, who think that this is crazy and that this is. Yeah. But also, I mean, I don't know how you think. I don't think that every single person should birth this way. Right. You know, right. that's like. No, so I just return to like showing another option. For mm-hmm. me, it was very important to hear that there was another option, mm-hmm. showing another option, showing that this is possible, can only be healthy, can only be positive. Doesn't mean that every single woman has to make the same choice, For but it inclu- it's more inclusive in, of what birth actually can be. So I, exactly. I, I but regret sharing that. No. Right. And living by example and keeping it like that is inarguable, right? Like you could argue everyone should birth that way. You can't argue this is what I chose. This right. is what, this was what was perfect for me. That really isn't arguable, which I find so much liberation in that, like just keeping that kind of my main thing is like, this is my lived example. This is what I do. This is what I choose because no one really can do shit about that. No. And also saying, cause some of the comments I got was this is because I have a big platform. This is irresponsible. And I, and I say like, <clears throat> so minimizing to think that any woman would do such would do no research about this biggest moment of their lives that they would just see a reel on Instagram and go oh I'm gonna do that like no woman would ever so let's stop minimizing how big of a deal this is totally and if a woman (laughs) saw your reel and chose to free birth that would be more in alignment with nature and what is true and protective and safe and smart than a woman seeing a gentle C-section and going and doing that. You know, I mean, it's it's all nonsense because it's a completely different paradigm and it's a paradigm where we are broken, where we need to be saved, where women are less than, where women are, you know, it's all just so boring. Like anyone in that consciousness, is, it's just so boring, you know, and yeah. the more... I mean- birthing we all take it so seriously you know we all like this is such a big deal and I think just the more versions of it that we've seen the better for all of us exactly options for me this is an 
awesome option. And I really, you know, hope that when it's Leia's turn to give birth, if she wants to be a mother, that I would assume that this would be an option that would feel natural. Mm-hmm. It feels like such a big shift from where we've been in our in our own lineage, you know. Right. Love it. So good. Love it. Yay. <laughs> All right. Thank you Love so it. much for your time, this extra long episode. This extra long episode. Oh my God. I had a feeling. Can we all just like say a little like hallelujah for the baby just sleeping? I know. I just got the text for that my baby is quite ready as well. So we will go nurse our babies. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Rachel. Bye. hope you enjoyed the show today. You can support this podcast by donating to it on freebirthsociety.com and leaving an awesome review on whatever platform you listen on. The more reviews, the more visibility the show gets. So let's spread the word of sovereign birth. We've always got a lot going on at Free Birth Society and you can find out about all of it at freebirthsociety.com, at freebirthsociety on Instagram, and opt in to my newsletter below in the show notes. We offer courses on free birth, authentic midwifery, and the blood mysteries, as well as one-on-one coaching, in-person retreats, and of course, our annual women's festival. Our exclusive vetted private membership is definitely something to check out if you're looking for a community of wise sisters. Together we rise. We must speak our stories, claim our lives, and support one another. This is the living revolution, and I am so grateful to be in it with all of you. I'll leave you with our epic Free Birth Society theme song, Wild Woman by Aruba Red. I honor you for the wisdom you held, the ancient traditions of plant medicine and womb magic. I feel the spirit of the ancestors as I place my hands upon my belly. This sacred portal will be honored. Eons upon light beams of survival, withstanding the eradication of our power by design. I will not allow the separation of our young to be forced upon me. My sisters will no longer birth in captivity. The picket line redefined from burning our wild women to paralyzing us and drugging our babes. Strapped down in a clinical white bed, drying up the milk from our breasts, keep your needles. My family will never again be doomed to chase those dragons or your poison. We reject your We choose love, everything with intention, death, ascension. I will fly and bring her back from the start. Conscious conception, conscious conception.